Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 121 of Through the Years, the podcast reviews Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. I am Trevor Dame, one half of the show, joined as always by the other half of the show, Matt Feuerstein. Matt, how has your holidays been? I, I guess we just talked about that a little bit on the air, very basically, but you doing anything fun on the holidays, Matt? It's, well, it's, it's over, blessedly. Well, I, um, well, the, the, New Year's has not happened yet, so we are still in the holiday season, as it were. Um, but uh, I am excited for this show, but it's not its not because of the holidays, Trevor. It's because for the first time in a while, we get a, sh- uh, a Ring of Honor DVD whose name I get to say with a fun New York accent, Moda City Madness. <laughs> and it makes me feel real good to talk about Moda City Madness, you know, uh, my mother was mad that her cause Moda died, <laughs> and uh, in in Moda City they make cause, and there's all kinds of Moda City madness. <laughs> Wait, was some, is, some, you, is uh, something funny? Do I mute? No, just kidding. <laughs> Am I a clown? I'll, I'll, be, <laughs> I'll be honest. Like when I I was thinking like. What should we open the show with today? I was thinking like a few hours ago. I thought I could ask about the holidays, but I thought, well, what if Matt throws it back in my face? So I was like, this is how boring my um, holidays have been, Matt. The only two things I could come up with was the first one was I suffered like a a severe steam burn. And I was thinking about this today. And I don't know if this means I'm crazy or not. And also, folks, can you tell this is like a real BSB show because the fact I'm trying to add filler to the show. But um. I, I suffered the burn, and I don't know why I'm embarrassed by this. Uh, reheating a Boston Market brand chicken parm frozen dinner, and for some reason, I was like, "It's more embarrassing to suffer like a steam burn for some reason cooking something like that than like I don't know." There's something about oh, I was cooking a big turkey dinner, and uh, my arm touched the heating element. You know that that's that's a burn you can be proud of. You know it's like oh, the heat on the cellophane it it it, it leaped out at me cooking this Boston Market chicken parm. It is it, it, it I was ashamed, Matt. Okay, well I have two things to say about that. First of all, um, I'm really sorry to hear that you hurt yourself. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good now. And, okay, and the second thing is only Trevor Dame could make suffering a steam burn into a self-deprecating anecdote about <laughs> how the food that he makes is not burn worthy. <laughs> um, well, so that's, Matt, so that's, so that's, that's a very Trevor Christmas, I will say. Matt, not, not, not the, but not the, not the burn, the self-deprecation. <laughs> my, 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 my top was I decided I was going to say, I decided the other thing I could offer for what I did during the holidays was something I deemed too hot for Twitter because I thought, Oh, this will, worry people because it really isn't worrisome but i i feel like the through the years listeners they're they're a sterner set they, they know what's going on they know i'm okay but uh i have a friend uh we kind of fell out of being friends probably mostly my fault well definitely mostly my fault but like uh you ever have a friend where you kind of still just feel like you're on the relationship where you still text them like during holidays and significant events but that's really as far as it goes kind of in that zone and so I just wanted to – I was going to screen cap this and do this as a tweet because this really kind of summed up the life of Trevor Dane behind the scenes, but decided not to. But I, I will I will read it out here, Matt. So this is a very brief exchange. I wrote to this person, Merry Christmas, blank. I hope you and yours are doing well lately. Uh, they wrote back, 
Thank you. Merry Christmas to you, too. I hope all is well with you, too. So kind of cold, but hey, you know, that's the way we are now. But uh, so I wrote back, I'm solid. Look forward to my New Year's tweet. I mean, text going to blow your mind because that's my self-deprecating way of pointing out that uh, I only text at this point during holidays. They replied, and this is where things take a turn, Matt. She replied to me, is it going to be your suicide note? (laughs) At Mm. which point I replied, I'm saving that for your birthday. She replied, awesome. And that was the end of the conversation, and we haven't talked since. And this happened during Christmas afternoon. And so Mm. that's it. (laughs) That's a window into the world of my personal life. Matt. I feel like I just just shouldn't say anything. Uh, (laughs) But Trevor, Trevor, just – I feel like just for due diligence for all of the listeners out there, are you okay? Yes, I am. I am doing well. I'm pretty well. We we all we all love you very much, Trevor. Matt, like not to get serious, but I will say this: when we started doing through the years, I've never been suicidal. I've never been like down. But like when we started doing through the years, if you like listen to the first year or two, like in the background, particularly I think in the first year, like a lot of insane, not good life events are happening in my life. Like my dad was dying of cancer. Um, I had to move around a bunch. Uh, I had like uncertain like work prospects, all sorts of things. And it, it was like through the years was like the one stable thing during the first year of, the, of that show it was like the one stable presence of my life, which is one of the many reasons I should thank you for proposing the show. Where like anytime you listen to the show after that, like my life has been pure gravy, Matt. After that first year, like I, my, my Matt, my worst problem this holiday season was burning my finger on a uh, my hand on a Boston Market frozen dinner. So uh, I think I'm doing pretty good. All right. Well, uh, good good to know. But you know, I, I thought so. You know, that's that that those texts are are fairly. No, I hate to say it, boilerplate Trevor Dame uh, humor. But to the listeners that are not sure of that, I feel like I at least had to ask. Um, my holiday. I'm trying to think what the hol- the highlight of my holiday week has been. Um, I think I got my highest score ever in bowling, but I'm not going to say wow. what it is. But I'm not going to say what it is because it's still oh. not. It's because it is still not that good. So I'll tell you uh, off air, Trevor. Um, I'll uh, I'll uh, I will um, text it to you in the in the Skype chat. But I uh, okay. yeah, it's it's not good enough. It's 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 low enough that it would be embarrassing to say it was my highest ever. Let's put it that way. But I think say, it's, it's a highlight. I can guarantee you it's higher than mine because weird fact about me, I've only I've I've like five pin bowled, probably I, I don't know hundreds of, well a couple hundred times. Yeah, that's not a bad score at all. That's way better than mine because I can tell you I've only ten pin bowled probably three times in my life. I've bumper bowled more than ten pin bowled, right. and yeah, that score is definitely far higher than I've ever achieved in ten pin. Okay, well. That, that's I mean that's probably the highlight of the week. I I I am um I am going to be attending uh, World's End barring some unforeseen life emergency, and I I plan on seeing the Iron Claw that day. So that'll be a be a, a wrestling pack day um, of hopefully just one depressing uh, uh, wrestling related uh, entertainment uh, activity that I'm doing, and the other will not be depressing, but. We'll find out, I guess. Um, and, and that's uh, yeah, that's the uh, that's the highlight. 
And now we get to the thing I was trying to pad because honestly, Matt, um, the show we're going to cover today, you uh, kind of uh, like landed on something unintentionally. I really do think this will be the dry winter of through the years because you pointed <laughs> out that uh, the last show that we were, were entering a dry patch for kind of Ring of Honor shows, like uh, which in a way I look forward to because I feel like part of the fun of the show isn't just covering the big shows. It's covering like the lesser remembered shows and find like the nuggets of magic and fun there. I will say like watching the show and doing notes for this show, I had rarely ever been to a point of like, Matt's going to really have to do the heavy lifting here because I have nothing <laughs> to say. And then the final two, the final two matches, I end up writing like more notes for those two matches and just like side thoughts and going on tangents than I've probably done in more than like two or three other shows in the history of this podcast. Wow. So, well, in that case, well, yeah. in that case, I'm gonna just sit back and relax. I definitely do not have all that. <laughs> so it, I, that's why I thought we better pad this out just in case. Now, because I say that, I probably doomed this show to being like eight hours long. But I thought, yeah, jeez, like, I did not, I did not see that coming. I just thought it was fun to say the name. Yeah, honestly. By the way, mo- I think mo- the Motor takeaway C- from the first fight, Motor, oh, Mad- Mo- Motor City Madness. <laughs> I will think the takeaway of the first five minutes was the only good part of anything was Matt talking about bowling and Motor City Madness. But we'll get to the show itself. How how, it is, how it is, is the it show? Is not, it is not Motor City Madness. It's Motor City Madness. Uh, Matt, I can't do the accent. If you're going to ask me to join you in that, it's a path I can't walk. I, I, I would love to walk that with you. I cannot, sir. Um, <laughs> I walk a lonely road. The I can, only, I, I the only one that I have ever known. <laughs> so Motor City Madness 2006 I, I took a note even though this was the first Motor City Madness I do believe it's like listed on websites as 2006 because they did go back to this name I believe multiple times in Ring of Honor history they, the, the, the Motor City Madness brand Matt was very strong um, it took place October 7th 2006 at the Michigan State Fairgrounds and Expo Center in Detroit Michigan in front of a reported crowd of 325 fans which I believe is tied or near tied like if it's that has to be one of the lowest attendances the Ring of Honor ever had. We we talked about it on the last show because it kind of came up because obviously the show we covered was the, the last time was the first half of this double shot, which also did a really bad attendance. This attendance was even worse. So I'll repeat kind of a thing we talked about there. This is from um, The Observer at the time. Dave Meltzer wrote – the October 7th show in Detroit for Ring of Honor actually drew worse than Cleveland the night before. Just 325 fans, but at least had an excuse, going head-to-head with the Michigan versus Michigan State game. And the show started right after the Detroit Tigers knocked the Yankees out of the playoffs, and the whole city was celebrating. They had quite a few people who bought tickets who didn't even come. They won't be back in Detroit until WrestleMania weekend. And with an expected 78,000 wrestling fans in town from all over the world, they figured they'll be fine for a loaded show. So... Yeah, this was just one. Like, here's a question, Matt. I, I'm not a big, you know, I I don't have a thriving nightlife, but I don't think I've ever bought a ticket to an event and then found something else so fun that like, or like pressing that I didn't show up to it. Like, have you ever, you go to a fair number of things. Have you ever bought like a ticket for something just for some reason you found something even better or just like, no. you know what? I'm just going to throw this ticket away. Uh, okay, so... Only the only times that I would have ever done that would be if, like, let's say I got sick and I couldn't sell the ticket or give it away, um, and I couldn't go for that reason, or like there was one time in the not too distant past where I bought a concert, I bought a concert ticket, not a super expensive one, but a, a concert ticket, and then I found out another 
band that I liked better was also playing on the same night, and I again couldn't couldn't get that get rid of that first ticket. Um, so that that's the only time it's happened. It's, it's never been like I bought a ticket to something and then I was like, no, I want to go out and like party instead. You know, it's 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 always been like yeah. if this some some for some strange reason some other thing that I like better that hadn't yet been announced comes up and that's pretty rare um for that to even be possible um but it did happen once not too long ago so i can't lie and say it's never happened the only thing i i have that's even comparable comparable is an anecdote i've told on the show before which was when as a teenager i bought the 2001 wwf royal rumble and then my girlfriend surprised me and i was like i'll just record this on vhs tape and not watch it live and that was the moment i realized i was in love with her i was like boy i'm <laughs> recording a pay-per-view that i paid full price for and not watching it live like man trevor you done you done did it this time, boy. I did that. Um, the, I did that for the 2000 King of the Ring because the last minute my this I guess I was my second to last year of high school, um, and uh, my friend's parents got tickets to go see Eddie Izzard perform uh, live comedy. This was so yeah. This was a very 2000 kind of thing to do, <laughs> um, and I was like, yeah, I I, I I like him. So I went and I figured I would watch the 2000 King of the Ring when I got back, and then. All the reviews of the 2000 King of the Ring were that it was kind of mediocre, so I never really went back and watched it. Like I kind of fast forwarded through the whole thing. Um, so uh, I guess I guess that if, if you're counting pay per view, then that counts for me. Yes, I remember the uh, remember people that might not remember this. Uh, we should get to the show, but uh, that just remind me of this. Um, the 2000 WrestleMania. Remember it when it had uh, the WrestleMania All Day Long package, which is something they only did once because yeah. it wasn't a big oh, man. success. I loved it. I love that well, stuff. Yeah. Where the idea was for an extra price, you didn't just get WrestleMania, but you basically got like hours and hours of a pregame show with, I think, Michael Cole and um, some I, I, uh, Ivory was I one of the hosts. Name. Yeah, Ivory. Ivory was like the, the big host. That's who I was thinking of. And they were showing like, you know, all clips of past WrestleMania matches and, yeah, and all and, sorts and of all stuff. Never, never before seen interviews and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and talking head stuff with Vince. It was really cool. And I ended up having to like do some like life things with my parents. And I was going to be home in time for WrestleMania, but I was going to miss a bunch of all day long, which I had already prepaid for. And I remember just being the most angry, bitter, petulant child and just being like, uh, like every doing that thing where every two minutes you're like, oh, the, I'm, this is really worth missing WrestleMania all day long for. Thanks, guys. And then like getting home and finding out was like, I mean, you remember this better than me. I remember it being a lot of. Ivory and Michael Cole talking, <laughs> getting no, home and being like, I you mean, know what? There, there was that, but there was a lot of clips. There was a lot of clips I'd never seen before. There was a lot. I mean, like, I'm sure it wasn't actually good, and I'm sure it was a lot of like WWE, like hagiography type stuff. But at the time, I, I ate it up, and that was probably the era, like, when I was most excited about WWE because it was like just post Russo. Yeah, you know, the Radicals and Jericho and Angle were coming up, and I, I was really enjoying it. And then the funny part is that WrestleMania kind of sucked. And I um yeah. and I remember like I was thinking like the all day long day was actually the best part of that day. It got me all hyped for a show that ended up being very lousy on its own. And the funny thing is that like now basically every wrestling pay per view is WrestleMania all day long for free. Like it's just this <laughs> giant spectacle that goes on for seven hours to include all the pregame show oh, yeah. stuff. And well, those WrestleManias before they went to two days. Oh my gosh, they were like just endless. Yeah. 
I, yeah, went, to, so, I went to one of them. And it was just insane. Through the years, listeners look forward to like the increasing number of like old man Matt and Trevor um, things as we, as we continue to age. Like, because also it's crazy to think that that was twenty three years ago, Matt. That, yeah. that was twenty three years. Ago. That, some, that, some, that is... Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't feel like it, and sometimes it really does. You know. Yeah, a- absolutely. But um, okay, I-, I promise you now, folks, we can now get to covering the show. It starts with Samoa Joe backstage. He says, in the history of the world, there have been instances of bad timing, but tonight the Briscoes become the worst example, apparently ever, of bad timing. He said, uh, last night Brian Danielson tried to cave Joe's head in with a belt that Joe made. He says, tonight he doesn't have a chance to get at Brian, so instead he's going to take it on the Briscoes. Homicide then walks in. He calls Jim Cornette a little bitch, says he can't run from him. He's going to kill him. And then he says, you know, Homicide says, you can bring the Briscoes, Adam Pierce, even Steve Carino, anybody. It's not going to stop me. I'm go- not. It's not the 80s anymore, and we're taking over. So I like that Homicide, very... I like that homicide joined Samoa Joe's like extreme close-up party for this promo. It's usually just <laughs> Joe that gets that close to the camera. And then also Homicide said, you cannot take this little man down. And usually it's kind of a no-no in wrestling to talk. Talk about how small you are, but Homicide was happy yeah. to do it. And judging by uh, the thumbnail image of the video file for the next Ring of Honor show, we will be getting the Homicide Samoa Joe uh, close-up party for a second straight show, Matt, so <laughs> get excited. Um, we then get a, a little music video with Austin Aries and Brian Danielson voiceover hyping their title match tonight. It's always a nice little touch when Ring of Honor did, did this. They don't do it a ton, and I thought this was as far as these goes. If you if you view it through the the standards of 2006 Ring of Honor video packages, I thought it was a pretty good one. Yeah, I mean it wasn't um, too long, and that's really like what you wanted of these, right? Because sometimes they could just be like endless montages of chops, and this time it's like, all right, it didn't overstay its welcome, kind of set the table and. Got out of there. So this was yeah. A plus for me as far as these things go. We then got two dark matches we did not see on DVD, your usual student stuff. Uh, the first match was Alex Sugarfoot Payne defeated Ernie Osiris. The second one was a tag team match. Bobby Dempsey and Conrad Candy III defeat Mitch Franklin and Rhett Titus. So this would be Conrad Candy III's last uh, match in Ring of Honor. I think he had four or five this year. Poor guy. Like uh, so One of these weird wrestling things I think of sometimes, Matt, is like how you must feel – when you get kind of devoted, which we've seen a lot of Ring of Honor where like there's a period where you can tell a lot of times with a lot of wrestlers where Gabe's kind of like done with you, but he's still going to use you for a few more shows. And it's like he has to be thinking like two shows ago, I was on the main card wrestling Nigel McGinnis. Last show I was on the main card in a tag with Jimmy Rave taking on the Briscoes. Now I'm in a dark match against two students teaming with a student like clearly – I, I'm not long for this world. Like I, I always wonder what wrestlers must feel like when they get booked for stuff like this. But yeah, this the only be thing the answer. only thing I can say about that is if he waited a few months, he would see sort of the redemption arc of Steen and Generico in ROH. Yeah, and I feel like that after that happened, people must have been able to have a little more hope that things could come back their way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, again, we've talked about this before. I would say Conrad Kennedy the third in his limited Ring of Honor appearances perfectly decent like not to sound too dismissive like replacement level wrestler like he is perfectly he he was perfectly solid in his appearances i felt like i mean that that does sound dismissive i mean i just mean like you said whatever you say replacement level you it's dismissive <laughs> I just not, mean like, that's not a, that's not a compliment oh okay maybe that's harsher than i meant though. i thought he was a perfectly solid wrestler you know you're not 
angry to see him. You're not happy to see him. You're like, hey, it's Conrad Kennedy the third. Um, we get to the opener. Uh, save me, Matt. Uh, Delirious defeated Zach Gowan via submission in four minutes twenty four seconds when he made him tap out to the Cobra stretch. So. This was Zach Gowan's first match at Ring of Honor. He'd get three more in 2008 and another two in 2010. Um, this is another thing. Speaking about us getting older and, like, the passage of time, I always wonder, Matt, when we do the show, like, I always imagine our intended audience and, and our actual audience. And I imagine – I think most of our listeners grew up with Ring of Honor and they're, like, revisiting it with us. But I know there's at least a few people that have said, oh, I'm younger. I'm in my early 20s. I'm watching these shows for the first time. I've had a couple of messages at least like that. And, you know, I sometimes I wonder, well, will people be listening to these in the future? Matt, do we – should we explain who Zach Gowan is? Because I think he still is occasionally working on the indies. I, I looked it up after this. But, like, it's uh, kind of crazy if you don't realize – like, if you weren't around the time, this moment of time. So I guess I'll just – before I throw it over to you, very quickly lay out. Zach Gowan was is, is a uh, one-legged man. He lost his leg at a young age due to cancer, had to be amputated, and he still pursued very admirably his dream of becoming a pro wrestler. And he ended up briefly for like a year having a run with WWE. Famously, um, John Laurinaitis, John Laurinaitis, Johnny Ace at the time, you know, people might know him better as Johnny Ace, was one of like the big, big wigs in WWE at the time. And they were asking him because he was, this Zach Gowan was starting to go viral, like, you know, sign the one legged wrestler. Well, he, 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 John, was, he was, he was appearing in TNA. He was a yeah. ten, tenacious Z. And John Laurinaitis famously signed a different one-legged wrestler, and then they had to go out and then sign Zach Gowan. He, it was, people, that was a big kind of funny thing at the time was like he signed the wrong one-legged wrestler. And then Zach Gowan actually had like a brief like – like he wasn't just like some undercard guy. Like th- this is a guy who he semi-main evented a pay-per-view once wrestling Vince McMahon. Like – he got, and 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 he I got, went to I went to a SmackDown taping in a Madison Square Garden in 2003, and like Zach Gowan was the big like main angle in that show. He, he had a he had a promo segment with Vince, um, Hulk Hogan as Mister America got involved. Like Zach Gowan was the centerpiece of SmackDown <laughs> for a good few months there in the middle of 2003. So I really feel like like this match. I remember, I, like I vaguely remember, like this was one of those like, what the heck? Like, just how do I think of this? Like, Ring of Honor booking Zach Gowan, you know, in 2006, you know, after the run in WWE. Matt, what do you think about this? Obviously, it's not a very long match, but well, when Zach Gowan was in um, WWE, he was presented as a plucky underdog, fresh faced. You know, I'm gonna do great. You know, young kid. And here he really brings the negativity and the heel energy. You know, he immediately walks out, like, puffing out his chest, like, who's in Ring of Honor, baby? Who's in Ring of Honor, daddy? Like, he, but like, <laughs> but like, very, he, he says baby enough to be like, I think Adam Cole's number one inspiration. Cause he's like, baby. <laughs> like, um, um, so, uh, like, like that, that's the one thing I really noticed. Like, he's just like so, negative and angry seeming like he's um he at one point he like he just shoves a random fan in the crowd like it's just like wow (laughs) he's really being a heel um the other thing that i notice is um delirious 
this is how they follow up his huge win the night before, just immediately in a jobber opener match that he would have been in and any other show at any other point in his career. Except I guess he gets to win it instead of lose it. Um, but hmm. it's still a weird immediate follow-up. Um, but yeah, so you know, Delirious bites Zach Gowan's leg, which is really bad form because it's his only one. I feel like that's that's not very nice. Um, but you know, Delirious hits a panic attack, goes up for shadows over hell. Gowan moves, and Gowan um, at one point yells, "Moonsault, baby!" Which I think might be Adam Cole's original name, Moonsault. <laughs> um, Delirious, but Delirious catches him, stops him on the top rope. Um, uh, he. Uh, Elbows Delirious off, and then he goes for the moonsault, baby, but Delirious moves. Um, and then Delirious just hits the Cobra Clutch backbreaker into the Cobra Stretch for the win. Um, so I thought that Gowan, he, he was putting forth a lot of energy here to stand out. And he definitely did seem to have grown up in the previous uh, three and a half years. Um, but this was still a squash. And Jared David, like, I guess this is probably Gabe's directive. It's a lot is to says like sports entertainment's not going to cut it here in ring of honor. Like almost like, Oh, this guy is a gimmick. This guy is just a joke, which if you're going to present a one legged wrestler, I feel like it's not very nice to just be like, Oh, you're just, you're just a gimmick. Cause it's not like, it's not like Zach Allen decided to do this as a shtick. You know, this is just his physical condition. So I, I, yeah. I thought that was a little bit disrespectful. I thought Gowan, like I said, he personality wise, he worked very hard. He did some cool stuff. Um, but you know it was it was just a squash match, so it's not there's really not much to say about it. And I did think that probably Delirious should have had a better immediate follow up to uh, Survival of the Fittest than just this. You know, yeah, that was a good point you made about the, the Delirious thing because if you look at the final five people in that Survival of the Fittest match, every single one of them has a much bigger match than than Delirious because Matt Seidel's working double duty on this night. Austin Aries is in the semi-main event for the world title, and the Briscoes are in the main event. So, like, right? Delir- I mean, Delirious. Delirious, Delirious does get some big moments and wins over the next few months for sure. But I, I so I'm not saying they just kind of like put him back at the same level, but yeah, it's just you got. I think I feel like you got to do a better immediate follow up than this. Yeah. But yeah, it, it was crazy watching this because I, I just thought it's amazing to me that we live in a world where a guy can do something as amazing as wrestle with one leg, and yet he comes in here, like you said, as a heel. And I don't even think that's the wrong move. Like Gowan, again, yeah, like you said, like he, I think he was obnoxious here in a good way. He just he's running his mouth the moment he comes out of that curtain. Uh, there, there's a moment where he do- does a legitimately impressive dive to the outside, and he immediately shouts, "That's how I beat the Big Show, bitch!" So, bitch. So it's like he knows what he's doing. Like he knows whether that was something ROH told him to do or just what he thought he'd – how he'd run with things. He He's not wrestling as Zach Gowan, the one-legged inspirational wrestler. He's wrestling as Zach Gowan, the symbol of sports entertainment, whether that's fair or not. Um, and yeah, like Gabe Prezak said, you know, Zach Gowan's bringing some sports entertainment to ROH. Um, and you mentioned the thing Jared David said at the end about, you know, like, you know – Sports entertainment's not here for Ring of Honor. There, I did think Jared David had a, a, a cute line where he said early on, he goes, I don't know about opening the card with a freak show act like this and his opponent, Zach Gowan. So I thought, hey, that's that's a nice, cute little line about Delirious. Um, as right, far right, as the right, match, right, like, right. I mean, like if Zach Gowan is sports entertainment, then probably Delirious is too. As far as the match, though, like you said, this is very slight. Uh, 
you know, Zach gets to hit a few impressive spots like the dive, the flying drop kick, the missed moonsault. But, and Delirious here doesn't really do anything but just be Delirious. Like, this was basically a night off for him. And maybe, maybe they felt like after the, the last show, because he was going to be in there all the way to the end to give him a night off. But then that doesn't explain why Matt Seidel, who wrestled just as much as him, gets double duty. But this really did feel like, oh, this is just a night off for Delirious tonight. But, um, Next comes out Jim Cornette, Mike in hand. The Detroit fans clap along with his Midnight Express theme music, and he seems jovial. He's, after being so angry recently, he's happy. That won't last too long, but he, uh, a fan shouts that homicide's going to kill him, and Jim says, son, you're almost too easy. If I had a head like yours, I'd have it circumcised, which is a line I bet over under on the number of times Cornette's used that in his career. is probably like 12. <laughs> I imagine that's like an old chestnut for him. Um he still seems in a good mood even after that fan heckle, and he thanks the fans for supporting ROH with all the sports happening in Detroit tonight. He puts over the Detroit Tigers. But he, he, says, also, all the things he, going- he also says that he, the mic makes him sound like James Earl Jones, which it doesn't. I hate to tell you. Um, but also, <laughs> I thought the audio was actually unusually clear uh, for ROH in this promo. So that already makes it a special night right there. That empty building magic. The acoustics, Matt, top notch. But – um. Cornette says, with all the things going on, you fans chose to support Ring of Honor, and we appreciate that. Cornette announces that ROH will be returning to Detroit, WrestleMania weekend 2007. And he says, if you want to go across town that weekend and see them, them, obviously we know what he's talking about, WWE, you blow up a bus, see all the pyro, see all the lights. And what I like is after he says, see all the lights, the crowd boos, like, woo, lights. And then he goes, and all all those scantily clad women. And then you hear a few fans cheer, like, Jim, that's one fans can get behind, apparently. Like, you know, you, you, you took a wrong step there. But he goes... He goes, there's nothing wrong if you want to see WWE, but plan your weekend that that week to come early to go see Ring of Honor. And, and I love like that's a you know, like a, a sign of this was back before like a million companies running WrestleMania week and train to like a week long event was a thing where it was still like I make a note like to tell the fans like, hey, come a couple days early, you know, make make a weekend out of it. And um a fan at this point shouts, not, shouts out, nice promo, as Jim is plugging the tickets. And Cornette sarcastically just tells the fan, 25 years in the business, and I couldn't have done this without you, which I thought was a genuinely good Jim Cornette. Yeah. Like, that's yeah, the yeah, Jim yeah. Cornette char- I char- like. Char- char- charming, charming enough. Yeah. Um, Jim announces that Roderick Strong injured his back last night. He won't be able to compete tonight, which was a legitimate injury. He says, you know, Roddy wanted to to wrestle tonight, but the doctor said no, and so I say no. At that point, Roddy walks out to the ring in street clothes, and it's clear that Roddy's back really is hurting because if you watch him, he actually has to get a a chair set up to stand on to get into the ring. And you can tell just by the way, like, he stands on the chair, like, dude's back is not not doing great. Um, So... Uh, at, at this point, Roddy tells, gets in the ring. He tells Jim, you know, I came here to wrestle. Cornet points out Roddy also has a black eye, which when you zoom in, we can see. So it didn't seem like that watching that tag match, him and homicide against the Briscoes the night before, like I couldn't know, I didn't notice him getting hurt, but apparently that was a very rough match for him between the black eye and the injured back. So, um, Jim again says, you know, doctors say you shouldn't be wrestling for three to four weeks, let alone tonight, the night after you got hurt. Roddy again says, you know, look, I came to wrestle tonight. Jim says he was 23 once too, and you're going to do whatever it takes at that age. But the doctors and me and I both say you don't need to wrestle tonight. And even though I appreciate your fire and your passion, Jim asks Roddy if he could, if he makes himself clear. You know, he, Jim's starting to get a little perturbed, a little ticked off here. 
Roddy snatches the mic away at the, from Jim at this point. He just now screams at Jim like, I demand to wrestle tonight. Cornette starts to now finally lose it. He he starts to yell at Roddy to, you know, don't push me around. When Homicide's music starts up, interrupts, and out comes Homicide to the ring. Jim flees to the outside of the ring in fear before running all the way to the back. Homicide gets on the mic. He says, I'm having a bad day. You all motherfuckers beat the Yankees, you bunch of assholes. He gets Jim a cracker. He calls Jim a cracker. I said he gets Jim a cracker. That would be hilarious. He was like, I got a snack for you, buddy. <laughs> Here's some saltines. Um, and, and he says, you know, tonight, you're going to get yours tonight, Jim. Homicide asks Roddy if he can't wrestle. And then I love, Matt, this is how they ended the segment. Now, Homicide asks Roddy if he's going to wrestle. Roddy says, he says I can't. Homicide goes, fuck him. And that's the end of the segment. I, I, I feel like Homicide put Strong in an awkward spot by having him, by asking him that question. Because like a minute ago, Strong was like, oh, I'm here to wrestle. And he was chasing Cornette around. Then Corn, uh, Cornette runs to the back. And because Homicide asked him, are you going to wrestle? Roderick, like, what was he going to say? He had to just be like, uh, I can't. It's like a minute ago, you were like, I definitely am going to. And now you're just like, oh, he said, he said no. Because, yeah, he said he said I can't, right? So it's just like yeah, yeah. He, was, yeah, he was going to beat up Jim Cornette a second ago, and now he's just like, oh, what am I supposed to do? He told me I can't. So Homicide yeah, should like, not have asked Roderick that question. Yeah, <laughs> Homicide should not have asked Roderick that question. Made him look like a tool. And in fact, because Roddy doesn't, you you never see him again for the rest of the night. Like, I imagine that segment, the purpose was just inform the live crowd that, hey, there's going to be a card change tonight. And to try and get give Roddy's little face saving by having him come out and argue for it. And maybe put a little heat on Cornette even by having him be the guy that's like, look, even if you're insisting, I'm not going to let you wrestle. But yeah, like you said, the homicide question then puts kind of back on Roddy and him just having to shrug and be like, eh, you said I can't. Um <laughs> And I just love how that's such an abrupt, like, just obviously going, fuck him. And it's like, that's it. That, 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 that's the segment. Um, and that brings us to the second match of the night. Daisy Hayes and Mischief defeated Allison Danger and Lacey in nine minutes, 51 seconds when Hayes pinned Danger after hitting the mind trip. Uh, Prezek on commentary called this a shimmer women athletes special attraction matchup with the partners being chosen by at random by ROH matchmakers. So which I guess is, that was which is of- very, which is very weird. Like, why would they do that? <laughs> why would they choose people at random? It wouldn't, that doesn't make sense to me. I can only assume that was to explain maybe there was people feuding in Shimmer at this point that, you know, that were going, teaming up or maybe, you but know, yeah, that bo- they bo- wanted bo- to explain. Both, both teams were like heel face combos. Yeah, I was thinking maybe they wanted to explain why Al's in danger and Lacey, you know, one face and one a heel were teaming up. But well, what was that? Um, what's the uh, what's the lucha term for that? Like like incredible pairs or something like that? Something like, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cubs fan would, yeah. as always, Matt. Cubs fan would know. But um, I always feel guilt guilty being negative about a women's match at Ring of Honor because the entire gender <laughs> had been so poorly treated by this company up to this point, which we've documented extensively on this podcast. From the Jerry Lawler-esque past, like, commentary that did nothing but sexualize and patronize women to the streak of man-on-woman violence that we kept a running, literal running tally for to the incredibly infrequent and slim opportunities they've been given. I also feel bad because I've enjoyed things, Matt, that all four of these women have done before, certainly more than here. But I have to be honest, you know, I'm not going to patronize them by grading on a curve here. I'm going to say – this was below – this wasn't good. This was – I will give this the rare below average rating on through the years. Not very far below average, but it was below average to me. I will I will say in the past, I feel like the women have made the most of what they've been given in Ring of Honor. Like they haven't been giving long matches very – 
pretty much at all. So at the times they've gone out there and they've just tried to cram a million spots. And sometimes that works and it's exciting and captures your attention. They don't do that here. Like I guess to Ring of Honor's credit, they get a decent amount of time. And as a result, they work a more leisurely pace. They even have a bit of mat work in the body of this match. In a way, I found that refreshing that like, oh, for once, like women are wrestling on a Ring of Honor show and they don't have to rush. But the problem is this match, well, it never really – well, it does – like it ramps up a little bit I would say over time. It never really been builds to a big crescendo. crescendo. There's this hitchiness to it here. There aren't a ton of botches, but there's just this sloppy execution and a lack of flow. It, it, it was kind of a match where I was like I kind of wish they just went out there and did crazy and just like ran with their heads cut off for seven minutes. For, like for a lack of a better word because I hate when people – so often like use the word indie as a negative. This kind of felt indie in the negative sense to me. Um, Lacey does a lot of character work here as the single heel in this match. She, she screams so often. I was like, man, if I was in her position, I would have been like blown up just from screaming before she even did a move. Uh, she does the simple heel psychology of she's scared of mischief. So whenever mischief is like hurt, She's eager to tag in and get an advantage, but whenever she's mischief is healthy, she never she doesn't want any part of it, and it leads to like a funny moment, kind of the highlight of the match for me, where she tags in because she thinks mischief's hurt. Mischief like stands up and screams at her, and Lacey immediately tags out before Allison Danger has even gotten back on the apron. Like she just touches Allison Danger's arm. And Allison Danger hasn't even left the ring yet. And Allison Danger, you can see her explaining to the ref, like, that shouldn't count. <laughs> and the ref, like, forces her to come back in. Like, well, nope, that's a tag. And um, the end, I thought, was also kind of unsatisfying, where it's Lacey pulls Allison in front of her to block Mischief's Mist. Allison's blinded by it and then takes the fall. And I guess it works in the sense that Lacey's, like, the most prominent heel in the match, and she's a ring of honor regular. So it gives her maybe a little tiny bit of heat, but I felt like again, in a match that was already going to have like an uphill battle to really impress. And these women get so few opportunities. I would have liked like a real satisfying ending rather than just like kind of a fuck finish ending. But overall, I just thought this was not a train wreck. It wasn't unwatchable, but it wasn't really even the baseline ring of honor standard at this point. I don't think it was anyone of the four's best night in the ring. Yeah, I think I probably like this probably more than most people would have. I I don't think it was like a particularly good match, like, but I I did find it refreshing. Um, you know, just something different. I still love Alice in Danger's music. Um, like it was just like this. It's it's so um I don't know. It's it, it's very inspiring. I feel like and uh, and pretty. Um, but uh, yeah, I like that they you know immediately started with Lacey and Daisy doing a bunch of pinning combos. Like you don't see a, a lot of matches start that way, so I thought that was different. I thought that Mischief, you know, she asserted her personality pretty well here, and you know she's only had a couple of previous ROH appearances, and I thought that she seemed like she got over pretty well, all things considered. Lacey was kind of like Jack Evans in the early Generation Next era, where she was just, she's just working the entire time, like even when she's on the apron, you know, with all, like you said, the yelling and the emoting. So I do appreciate that. Like, she's just never off when she's out there. And, you know, I think that's, that's worth something. But you're right, there was a lot of sloppiness, and I especially did not like the ending. Um, um, I, I liked uh, Lacey kind of screwing over her own teammate to avoid being misted. I, I think that that was good character work. But, you know, just the the final few moves, you know, leading to Hayes uh, getting the heart punches and the mind trip on Allison Danger and getting the win. 
uh, it, there was just something off about it. Like I, I think just it felt like things were starting to fall apart a little bit. So it was probably good that it ended when it did. Um, but yeah, so so I mean, like I don't think it was a particularly good match, but I did find it a uh, a fairly enjoyable change of pace. That brings us to the third match on the show. Uh, Claudio Castagnoli defeated Davy Richards via pinfall in 12 minutes, 20 seconds after he hit the Apamari water slide. Uh, yeah, this was kind of a rare match at this point in Ring of Honor where there's, there's kind of like no story to it. It's just, you, you know, it's two guys that, you know, were booked this weekend. They don't have a, a match on this night, so let's have them take on each other. Uh, what do you think about this one, Matt? Well, I hadn't been really enjoying a lot of Claudio's singles matches in ROH recently, but I thought, you know, and I, you know, Claudio versus Davey Richards should be like a really great match, you know, like in terms of athleticism and stuff. And this obviously wasn't that, um, but I think that Richards was energetic enough and was a good enough contrast for Claudio doing his shtick that I think the match stayed pretty energetic and exciting the whole time to where it became like a pretty good little match, which, you know, I guess depending on your expectations, that's either disappointing or refreshing because I really have found a lot of Claudio's matches in mid-2006 pretty boring. And I don't think this was, um, you know, first of all, I like it that Claudio comes out to We Are the Champions even when he wrestles singles. I kind of think that he should come out to that in, uh, in AEW. Tony can chill out for it. You know, if, he, if he's paying for the final countdown, he could pay for for some Queen. Didn't he? Uh, I mean, he did, didn't he pay for Queen? Queen for, yeah, for 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 um uh, Soraya, right? At, at all? In, yeah, right? you, you should go. know that you were there. Yes, that's right. Well, don't, I, don't you remember? <laughs> I do. I do remember. And <laughs> and we will rock you. Isn't that like you? Isn't that sort of like a sweet with we are the champions? Usually, like they like those two yeah. songs kind of were were paired together. So um so yeah so like we so a, we already to- so we already paid for that song. That's what I get out of this. <laughs> yeah, you know how that works, Matt, where you pay for a song once and then you never have to pay for it again. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like there's we've established like there's a Tony Khan music tier list where there's the songs he wants to get but just can't afford even to use once. There's the ones he can afford that he'll use once or twice, be it the Queen song or the Rolling Stones song, Sympathy for the Devil. Remember, he got that for MGF, that one show. Yeah, or the Final or, yeah, final countdown. He he paid for it for to get two uses out of it. Um, he better pay for it for the Bryant's final match. By the way, um, I, I just, feel just, I, I feel I feel pretty confident in this one. That that's gonna yeah. Happen. And then there's the ones where it's like, oh, I can't believe he like got that regularly, and he's just bought that like when he got like where is my mind for the pixie from the pixies for uh for uh, Orange Cassie. I, I think he told a story once where it was like. Like, um, I, I forget if it was about Jane, where it was something like they wanted to have too much of a price, but then it was like eventually they came back to him or something like that. I'm not, I'm not sure. But what anyway. If, what if for Danielson's final match, they get self-esteem by the offspring? I, I bet you, Matt, for like, not, you know, I was already strangely dismissive of uh, Conrad Kennedy III, but uh, what, I'll double down. I, I would bet you for like a fifth of the price it costs you to get one play of Final Countdown, you could not only get self-esteem, but you could probably get, like, the offspring to perform that live <laughs> and, like, get them to hang out for a couple of days you know, for that price. I'm not sure if that's that's what anyone would want. Um, well, you know, if, if I, 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 we'll see when we get to it, but my recollection is that when Joe had his final ROH match before he left the first time in 2007, they kind of played a medley of all of his songs. So. Yeah. 
Maybe they could do that with, with Danielson too. They could even play the Imperial March, which for the two times <laughs> that he came out to that one. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, yeah, as, as far as this match, you know, Claudio's doing a lot of the, the, the shtick of not wanting the crowd to say, hey, and like, no, stop doing that. And then Richards leans into it by saying, hey, himself. And then Jared David's, Jared David was really like on the show as far as like talking about how he doesn't like certain wrestlers. And he mm-hmm. says that he wants to, he wants Richards to kick the bejesus out of Claudio. Uh, so Davey quickly obliges with that. Um, Richards works a headlock. Uh, Claudio heals it up by going to the eyes, 2004 style, because if you remember 2004, there were a lot of eye pokes in Ring of Honor. Uh, just an absurd amount of eye pokes. Um, the crowd does get very into Richards' comebacks between all, like every time Claudio slows it down. Um, like Davy moves when Claudio goes for a running quarter knee, a corner knee, and Claudio falls to the outside. And immediately Davy hits his out of control dive, and the crowd goes nuts off of that. You know, every big kick flurry gets a big pop. Um, at one point, Richard goes for the handspring kick, but Claudio blocks it with a European uppercut to the back of the neck, and then that f- spinning face plant thingy that he does for two. Um, uh, near the end of the match, uh, Davy blocks a Ricola bomb and Claudio blocks the butterfly butterfly brain buster. Uh, so Richards just gets a DDT and then goes into uh, an arm submission hold. And that's when Hero appears with the briefcase. Uh, Richards gets in Hero's face, but Claudio uppercuts him from behind. Richards counters the Afamari water slide and Richards knocks Hero off the apron, but Claudio rolls him up for a pretty good near fall. And then Richards gets an O'Connor roll and Claudio kicks Richards off into the briefcase being held by Hero, and that's when Claudio hits the Alphamari water slide and gets the win. Um, I didn't like the ending. I, I just, I, you know, I'm just never going to get so excited by those cheap endings, but I understand why they did it. But I thought the match was, was pretty enjoyable up until then, um, and I guess whether pretty enjoyable is good enough for you just, again, just depends on your expectations. I thought this was a step up for what Claudio had been doing uh, recently in ROH. So it's funny. I I agree with you, but I have the compl- about the match as a whole. But I have like the complete opposite view of the ending, which which surprised me as I was watching it. But, but like early, this is one of those matches where for me I have to kind of average out the good and the bad. Because there was parts of this I liked a fair bit, and there were parts of it I did not like. So like early on, this match had like one or two nice, fun, quick little exchanges, and I'm thinking to myself, here we go. Like like the first real quality match, substantial match of the night, some real wrestling for us. And then a character appears that you just alluded to about in your review that sadly we've come to know well on through the years. And that's a character I call strangely boring post heel turn 2006 ROH singles Claudio Castagnoli, which is a very catchy um, nickname for him. Um, yeah, I already, there, but- I already can't get out of my head. <laughs> but there are so many qualifiers there because Claudio is typically such a great wrestler for his, most of his career that like it's you it's really weird that in this little pocket here that I just described with my great award winning catchphrase um, or nickname that you know he's he's really like you were saying he's been boring and and in the middle of the match Claudio takes control of this match and I thought the middle portion of this match I thought was like an absolute crawl it just slowed to 
down that much. Like Claudio keeps doing this very standard, very basic heel stuff. And I mean super basic, like abdominal stretches, grabbing the ropes of the abdominal stretch, 80 style offense. Like at one point, Claudio, and I think he's done this before, he just does a body slam and elbow drop. And that's like a, a big sequence for him in the middle of the match. And I have nothing against the match slowing down. I have nothing against going basic with your offense. And in fact, when a heel takes over in the middle of a match, that's often a formula to build heat for when the face makes a comeback is to slow it down to make it more exciting when the, when the face makes a comeback. But with Claudio, it's so boring here. And I think well, I finally noticed in this match, one of the things that's been off, at least to me about him in this singles heel run, which is it's the word I would use is boilerplate. It's so boilerplate. Like it's just, it's almost like he's just doing a formula. He's been given where it's like, do a basic move, look to the crowd, yell at them. If they're doing the Hey chant, repeat. Just do those three things over and over again in a cycle until your section of the match is done. He does nothing really to make it his own or lead to a big payoff. It's just super standard heel one-on-one stuff with nothing to really color it. But then David gets back on the offense, and as soon as he does, we get right back to the excitement, and the crowds are acting like you said. And it's clear these two could have like a great match together. I don't know if they ever have. One thing I really noticed watching this match also is uh, is Claudio – this is a match where you can, where I could tell, like people have said this, Claudio just seems like he'd be a joy to work with. Like people always talk about how Claudio is one of the great bases of his generation. You know, a big guy that can work with smaller high flyers and really support them and help them do what they do best. And even though you wouldn't consider like Davey a really great high, a big time high flyer, I think if you watch this match closely and Claudio's body language on so many spots, you still see those skills here. Like just on how he kind of cradles and helps guide Davey to the floor on that out of control dive he does or how he just takes a head scissors or anything like that where it feels like anytime Claudio needs to leave his feet to take a bump or anytime he has to hold his opponent like off their feet for a spot it feels like Claudio is just so rock steady in doing exactly what you as his as their as his opponent would like want him to do he's just like always reliable now then we get to the ending and when Chris Hero came out I thought basically like you thought, Matt, like you ended up feeling at the end of this match where I was like, great, like another shit finish, like two in a row on a card that's getting off to kind of a slow start. It does not need this. And I was like dreading it. But I actually thought they smartly worked it. What I liked was I felt like they did the outside interference equivalent of giving you false finishes where, you know, you laid it out. But just to go over it again, Davy is Claudio in a submission. Hero appears, jumps on the apron. David releases the halt to argue with Hero. And I immediately, I was like, oh, God, this. Like, I was feeling dreading it. You know, the ref then talks to Hero. Claudio texts Davy from behind. He picks up Davy for the Alpamari water side. And again, I'm thinking, oh, great, quick, cheap heel win. But Davy gets out of it. He, the, Claudio doesn't hit the move. Then Davy boots Hero off the apron. Claudio immediately rolls Davy up behind. I think, okay, they did like one swerve, but this is the end. No, like Davy kicks out. Davy then gets Claudio in an O'Connor roll, and you're thinking, okay, well, maybe Davy's going to win this. Claudio kicks out, and the, but as he put, kicks out the O'Connor roll, he's pushing Davy to the ropes. Hero, which had dropped completely out of sight, so I was like, maybe Hero's done for the match, his involvement. He pops up from, like, under the apron. The camera, like, you know, you don't see it till he pops up with the briefcase, smacks Davy right in the face as, you know, Davy hits the ropes, and then Claudio has the Alpamari water side for the win. And I thought 
I didn't like that they did a fuck finish, but I thought that was the perfect amount where, like, if they had done any more swerves, it would have gotten to be overkill. But if they had done any fewer, it wouldn't have been exciting. It would have just felt like a kind of a down note. But I felt like they had done – they did, like, the perfect amount of swerves on that finish to kind of make it feel kind of neat on its own. And actually, I thought it was one of my favorite parts of the match, even though I thought it wasn't going to be. So – Overall, I thought this was like a real strong above average or a very low good because I really did like the opening and the closing. I thought when Claudia wasn't controlling that middle portion, it was a fun action match. But I did feel like that we still Claudio still is in kind of his boring 2006 ROH heel mode in the middle of the match. How are you feeling about just Davies run so far? Because I feel like he gets a bad rap sometimes. And I think he brings a lot of energy to pretty much every match that he's in so far. Yeah, I, I feel like sometimes, like, maybe this will become more apparent. His intangibles aren't, you know, like, you know, I don't feel like maybe there's a lot underneath what you see. But, yeah, I feel like Davey Richards is a guy, he's in every match so far, he's bringing 100% effort, you know, and he's exciting. He, he, you know, he is he is kind of like the new era Austin Aries where he's bringing you some stiffness but some real athleticism and he's just running around with a lot of energy and putting a lot of, you know, a lot of effort in. And, and yeah, it's an exciting kind of jolt to the undercard. Even if it's, you know, after the day, the Jimmy Ray stuff, it feels like he is kind of a bit directionless now. Like the Jimmy Ray feud was like a real strong start and now yeah. he's kind of like, eh. Well, he's still here. We still like him, but what are we going to do with him? But we'll see. I mean, he's going to get a direction eventually. We'll, we'll see what happens. But um, after the match, uh, the crowd chants, fuck you, hero. Chris Hero grabs the mic to say, this is going to be short and sweet. The kings of wrestling are the best tag team in professional wrestling. Kings reign supreme. And then they leave through the crowd. Davey gets back to us. He gets a standing ovation. For, or not, not maybe not a standing ovation, but he gets an ovation from the crowd. I thought it was weird. Like, why they – have here like it's very rare for Ringwater that someone gets on the mic just to say like two innocuous lines but then we'll see why later which is it's kind of adorable what they do later but that'll bring us to um Christopher Daniels and Matt Seidel defeat Colt Cabana and Jimmy Jacobs with Lacey in their corner which strange also that Lacey is in their corner so she's okay to go after the match but Allison Danger isn't in Daniels corner but I guess maybe she's selling the missed attack but anyway, Daniels and Seidel win in 1408 when Daniels pins Jacobs after he hits the Angels at wings. Uh, on commentary, Dave Prezik says, Lacey actually signed this match before the previous Cabana and Jacobs tag title match the night before, thinking they'd win that match and this would have been their first defense. So I actually like that they go that far to like kind of explain why are they still tagging even now. Um, before the match, there's also a cute bit where Jimmy Jacobs blows a kiss to Lacey. Colt catches the kiss, and then Colt then like sees Jimmy Pally, so he decides to throw Jimmy's kiss to Lacey. But then Jimmy catches the kiss, which again is not a real thing. Before he can throw it, so he can throw it himself. Like I thought that was like ridiculous in in a fun way. But um, there are plenty of positives I would say to watching every Ring of Honor show in order. One of the negatives, though, is that story beats repeat for a few shows in a row often. And if you were just picking and choosing, watching, like, only buying, as some fans did, I think, like, maybe one of every three or four DVDs, like, just going, I'm not going to buy every DVD. I'm going to buy, like, the best one, the one with the nice, the best card, the the most buzz every three or four shows. You'd never notice that. In a way, maybe that's why they repeat the angles sometimes over and over again to cater to those fans. But for fans like us, 
it feels like every step of the cult Jimmy feud has happened like at least twice. Like we had the recent <laughs> double shot where both nights basically they told the same story of cult Jimmy are in multi-man matches together and Jimmy's really depressed and you know, cult's kind of picking on him. And then this weekend you have the different story that they're telling twice, which is, you know, Jimmy and cult are actually working together as a tag team and, and cult's actually being nice to Jimmy and showing some sympathy for him. And both times they lose. And during the match, there's missing communication where Jimmy accidentally hurt, you know, hits cult on moves on the way to a loss where here it's accidentally drop kicking him. And then at the finish, he accidentally uh, knocks an opponent into the ropes as cults on the top rope causes him to fall. Lacey's checks on J- on Colt because she's worried about Colt's balls, of course. So that's very important. Jimmy gets distracted. Instead of going for the win, he goes to talk to them. and like, what are you guys doing? And he ends up taking the fall. So, you know, again, we're, we're seeing the same thing twice in a row on the devil shot. It's almost like the, uh, the best example of that, Matt, I think would be, remember in 2003 when they did the famous riot angle and it was like that got buzz and got people talking. And then they did the riot. And people always, re- people remember the riot angle, but if you're not watching every show like we were, you don't remember they did the riot two more times in the other markets. They were like, let's do this again. And it was not nearly as entertaining or impactful. But um, and anyway, in terms of action itself, whenever I see like a lower than expected t- attendance, I always wonder, like, are the wrestlers going to feel like I can't get up for this? I'm going to kind of take the night off. And I don't know if anyone took the night off here but i do think they didn't go as hard as you would normally go for like the a show technical oh the technical a show of a double shot then again matt Seidel was gonna have to wrestle a second match immediately after this so maybe he was pacing himself i wouldn't say the match was bad as a result i would call it low-key but pleasant like a really strong average like two and a half stars they don't do a ton of big time physically intensive or complicated stuff they don't do a big long stretch run but again, it's pleasant. It's a pleasant match. I don't know what you thought about it, though. Uh, this is one of the times where I like the match a little bit less than you. I um, I thought this was pretty lousy. I um, you know, I, I did find Cabana twirling both Lacey and Jimmy during their entrance pretty charming. Um, and I also uh. Also did not realize until Jared David said so that Jimmy Jacobs' pink crotch on his tights is supposed to be a vagina. That was new information for me. I, I, I can't imagine – like I remember that too. I was like that can't be real. That has to be Jared David reading Jared David reading into things. Like <laughs> that, that can't be Jimmy Jacobs had a, a vagina symbolized on his crotch. I mean you know who's to say? <laughs> maybe Jimmy Jacobs, maybe Jared David, maybe both of them, maybe neither of them. I don't know. But um, as far as the match itself, I felt like the the night before, what I liked about the tag title match with uh, Jacobs and Cabana was that they kind of toned down the, the shtick a little bit for the match and just kind of, you know, they they hit on it, but it was they mostly wrestled. This time, the shtick was a lot more obtrusive. There's a lot more... Lacey distracting, you know, Daniels. There was more stuff with um, just like Jacobs get getting mad at, at Lacey for uh, or getting mad like that. Lacey was focused on Cabana stuff like that. Um, that just I don't know. It distracted me. Um, and of course there was the spot where um, you know, where Cabana charged Daniels and and Cabana almost ran into Lacey on the apron, and then Daniels did the sunset flip, sending Colt over and sending Lacey on top of him into the quote compromising position. You know, it's like 
Uh, it's hard to take a match seriously when when that happens. You know, talking about sports entertainment. Um, so. You know, and I mean, obviously, Jacobs played it well. You know, when he came in, it was like everybody, and and then Lacey was screamed, everybody to stop touching her. I, um, you know, it was it's it was all well done, but you know, I think I would have just rather have seen a match. You know what I mean? Like just yeah, just a a wrestling match. And I, you know, I did think that Seidel had a pretty good sequence of hot tag moves, but I think I was already kind of out of the match at that point. Um. And like you said, the energy was just like a, a step below what you would expect from a, you know, a, a, you know, a main night of the double shot Ring of Honor show. It, it feels like the exclusive double shots for each uh, series of shows is starting to take its toll already as far as just the quality of both nights dipping. Um, and I think that this is an example of that. Um, I did think that Seidel looked good, though. But yeah, but it could have been a great match if everyone just got to show their stuff. Mm-hmm. It is it is interesting too that you know as there's there's a big ring of we, we talk always point out like the AEW Ring of Honor timeline coincidences coincidences where it feels like it's been happening so much more often lately where something's going on at AEW that mirrors the episode of Through the Years we're about to do and there's a big one later. But I also find this one's more general. But it is interesting that like we're really getting to the Jimmy and Lacey storyline right now. And it's like, it's not, you know, Ring of Honor has had things that were sticky or, or, or comical or over the top or melodramatic before, but this is like the first story where it's like really a meaty story with a lot of that really becoming like the focal point of the matches. And meanwhile, Jimmy Jacobs, you know, a lot of people are reading into like AEW's recent shift into more sports entertainment coinciding with him getting a key role on the creative team. It, it's, it's interesting again, how things sync up like that, where you could argue that like what we're watching right now is one of the very first examples of maybe a Jimmy Jacobs style view of pro wrestling, you know? I mean, um, the, the, the angle ends up with, with Jacobs and Lacey in some really intense hate filled brawls that are very memorable, but this is, I guess the, uh, the middle part that's a little bit like you're kind of like a slog. I, I did like, I also thought it was funny that Lacey comes out wearing a Colca Bass shirt. So they're really starting to sell now that like Lacey is like kind of over the moon for Colt, like not just a little, you know, kind of a, a, a sex buddy, but like she's, she's really into Colt. Would that, know, would, tells- would, would that character be that into Colt Cabana? Well, again, I, I, that's something I was going to ask you. Like I was about to ask you, like, it's so weird. Like, the lazy character, obviously, in 2006 Ring of Honor, especially for a woman, characters aren't very deep. But I, I feel like like the character of Lacey so far, she's always looking down like the mouth-breathing internet basement-dwelling wrestling fans at Ring of Honor shows. And her big character moment before this was like when she took – when she started Lacey's Angels, she was like telling Special K, like, you got to start dressing nicer and stuff. And like, yeah, like I was thinking – you know, the segments were like, there was that segment recently where Colt's like telling her he's going to take her out to like a fast food burger and then they're just going to have like sex, you know, at, at his crappy hotel. And here she's just wearing some ratty like Colt Cabana merch, like proudly. Like it, it feels like the the lacy character w- would not be impressed with like very low key, cheap ass <laughs> kind of a Jocko Colt Cabana, you know, but right, 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 like, right, like, like, I could see her like being like just like having a physical connection with him, you yeah. know. But be, but, but to the point where now she's like kind of like feeling f- like like butterflies in the stomach about him, or feeling like in love. 
that's a little bit of a bridge too far. But, you know, we'll see where how it goes and like how they explain the eventual uh, dissolution of their connection. And I will say I did like she tells the camera like she doesn't get a mic for this, but they come up to the Ballad of Lacey, which I thought was weird because the night before she made them shoff the Ballad of Lacey and play Colt's theme and said, you know, you'll never hear that song again. You immediately hear it tonight. But I like that she told the camera, like, I thought we sorted this out last night, you know? So I, I like that, you know, she's not no selling. She's acknowledging like, Hey, I thought I told them don't play this anymore. It reminds um, me, it reminds me of when like I have a bill of some kind and I keep, signing up for paperless billing and then the bill keeps coming in the mail so that's that's <laughs> the example that she signed up for um ballad of lacy list entrances and the ballad of lacy keeps on coming <laughs> um and I, I i will say there was one other part of the match i liked where lacy after she gets pulled in the ring and put on top of colt like she gets mad she yells at everyone in the ring including christopher daniels and even christopher daniels like sells it like he jumps back in fear and for some reason like colt and Jimmy being scared of her didn't really pop me. But the idea for some reason of Christopher Daniels even was like, even I'm going to sell this for some reason. I, I that, that actually did it for me. That got, that got a chuckle from me. But um, so speaking of repeating story points from the night before in these double shots, after the match, guess what happens? The same thing that happened the night before. BJ Whitmer limps into the ring for the second straight night. He attacks Jimmy Jacobs. Everyone in the ring quickly pulls him apart as Whitmer, Whitmer tells Jimmy he's a fucking dead man. Uh, Jimmy gets on the mic to say he'll break DJ's other goddamn ankle. Cole puts his arm around Jimmy. He tries to calm him down. BJ gets on the mic and Jimmy throws a chair at the ring, but it does not clear the ring. It bounces right back at him, which is some unintentional comedy. BJ says all Jimmy did was by hurting him was throw gasoline on the fire by taking away his ability to earn a living and the thing he loves most of the world, the sport of professional wrestling. He really emphasized that. BJ is giving Jimmy fair warning tonight, saying that until he's cleared by doctors, he's going to be a shadow. Jimmy throws a chair in the ring, and this time it does get into the ring. BJ says he's going to put Jacobs out of the sport permanently. Jimmy at this point just screams at, at, at BJ, you tried it before. You tried right – you tried fucking right fucking there. You tried it already, which of course is referencing that this is Detroit, which is the place where Jimmy and BJ did like kind of almost legit die on the infamous top rope powerbomb slip-up spot. And Jimmy keeps screaming. He goes, you know, you can't end my career. I'm the toughest son of a bitch here. BJ chases Jimmy to the back. And I actually thought to this point, I thought Jimmy and BJ were good here, but especially Jimmy. I thought Jimmy just turned his intensity up to like 11 on a dime. Like it felt real. Yeah, but it's, it's, also, it's a good preview of like the character shift that he takes. Yeah, but talk about tonal whiplash where because you have these two very different concurrent storylines, which I, I'm on the record. I like that. I thought Gabe had a skill for that. I like that. But you do occasionally get moments like this where within the span of like a couple minutes, we had to go from Jimmy had to go from goofy lovelorn blowing kisses Jimmy to you can't kill me, you son of a bitch. Fuck you, Jimmy but it, but, Jacobs. But in, which some, like, but in some ways that whiplash actually works. You know, it's like this guy, you know, you take you treat him like a joke, but he kind of has a hair trigger. And he could, you know, he's someone to actually that could be pretty dangerous. Yeah, like, like it is. It is like a crazy thing, like to see just how intense. This is about as intense as I've ever seen Jimmy Jacobs up to this point in ROH. Um, Daniel Christopher Daniels at this point grabs the mic and he says, "It looks like BJ Whitmer's back in Ring of Honor. How about that?" Which I thought was kind of funny because, like, I don't think Jimmy uh, BJ's been out that long, but like, yeah, I know he's I, back I get... in Ring of Honor. He's literally like, I think at this point 
he this is the uh, fourth show in a row that he has not wrestled on. And keep in mind, these are all double shots. So this is just like the second weekend that he hasn't wrestled on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he, and, and he's appeared on both nights of this weekend. So really, basically, he's missed one weekend. Yes, but um, exactly. but he goes, as long as people are making challenges, what about me? He goes, I, I want to talk about the kings of wrestling. He goes, Chris Hero and Castagnoli, Claudio Castagnoli came out. They claimed they were the best tag team, but he, I think they're just flukes. I challenged them on behalf of me and Matt Seidel. Chris Hero appears again in the back of the building with a mic of his own. Hero says the tag tiles he's wearing means that they're the best, while Daniels and Seidel have done absolutely nothing to prove themselves worthy of a title shot. He asks, what have the two of you ever done? He goes, so therefore, you get no title shots. Daniel starts to scream, and Seidel snatches the mic away from Christopher, and he's like, you know, says, you know, Chris, you've proven yourself every day for the last eight or ten years, eight to ten years, eight or eight to ten years, I think he said. And Daniels correctly goes, ah, actually, it's been 13, which I thought was a funny little moment. Um. Seidel says Daniels was here when Ring of Honor was growing right right at the beginning, and Seidel was here when Ring of Honor started blossoming. He goes, where were you, Hero? Seidel challenges Hero to a match right now to let them earn a tag title shot. Hero says he doesn't think so. He tries to leave when Seidel asks Hero why he came all the way here and put on those shiny yellow pants to walk away from a fight. Hero just keeps walking, but Seidel says if he walks away, it'll be just like last year and the year before that. He'll never be booked in Ring of Honor again. Daniels grabs the mic and says, Hero was never good enough to be booked in Ring of Honor. Hero now freaks out about that. He starts screaming, you know, that's bullshit. I'm the best thing going. Daniels tells him, well, get in the ring and prove it, you greasy-haired coward. Hero <laughs> makes his way to the ring and we get the match. Another so, another thing that I like that Seidel said, I, I didn't note if you said it, but I, he says, wait a minute, Chris. You and you, pointing to both Chris's, which I enjoy, <laughs> I enjoyed that quirky. Oh, another thing, right at the end of the um, Jimmy Jacobs promo, a, a, someone in the crowd yelled, stop being emo, Jimmy. And I wanted to be like, spoilers, guy, he does not stop being emo. <laughs> yeah, he's going to double down. But yeah. um, so, so I thought this was, this was what I was referencing earlier, where I was like, why did Chris Hill say two random lines on the mic after the Claudio match? And I realized it was literally just... So by Hero saying, like, we're the best tight team in the world, that gave Daniels, like, a reason to start his his mic work here. He's like, you know, I see Chris Hero said earlier in the night, you know, they're the best tag team in the world. So I was like, that is the example of Gabe in a way. It's Again, it's a, an admirable that he was, like, going that extra mile where it's like, he can't just get on the mic and challenge the tag team champions. There's got to <laughs> be a reason, you know. He, yeah. He's got to be responding to something. Well, there's got to be a storyline, as they say on the internet. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I thought the segment was fine. You know, I, I, I liked how it kind of it, it, they kind of made it feel organic where it was like Daniels wasn't really going to do a mic work. But then he's just like, well, since there's a mic here now and everyone's just had this big kerfuffle, why don't I reference something that just happened? And then, you know, how Hero gets talked into um, into the match. So that brings us to the impromptu match. Matt Seidel's second straight match of the night. Matt Seidel with Daniels in his corner defeats Chris Hero to earn a future tag title shot. Via pinfall in nine minutes, 30 seconds after he hit the Seidel press. Uh, Matt, how about this? You know, two Seidel matches for the price of one tonight. Yeah, uh, this is another match where it's like, it was like Hero did a good job being a heel. And I think, and like Seidel did a good job of being an underdog. But like, again, these two guys could have had a great match. And they just kind of did a lot more character stuff. And it was just, I mean, that's just what they were going for. 
They accomplished what they were going for. I think that Seidel was a little bit too much of an underdog here, considering how much he's been built up in ROH. You know, he was in second place in the Survival of the Fittest the night before with some pretty big stars in there. I felt like it was just too much of like, I don't know, regression to, oh, Seidel is going to show his stuff against a bigger and better uh, caliber wrestler. And I don't know. I just didn't. I just thought that Seidel should have been a little bit beyond that portrayal, if that makes sense. Like, I think mm-hmm. this would have made more sense against like a 2005 Seidel. Um, that said, I thought Hero did a very good job. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't do too much of his wacky shtick until a little bit later in the match when he does his knee roll, as his knee walk and his roll from the apron into the ring, and his wacky cover where he puts his knees on Seidel's chest. So there's a little bit of it later on, but he's a little bit more focused. Um, you know, when Seidel does come back at the end, uh, you know, he knocks here off the top rope and, and that's when a uh, hero grabs the ref's shirt, which allows Claudio to come out with the briefcase. And that's when Daniel stops him and fights him to the back. And we get Seidel hitting the missile dropkick and the shooting star press for what I thought is a pretty abrupt and sudden win. Um, Everything was very well worked, um, so I thought this was good, but I definitely thought it could have been a lot better. Yeah, I agreed most – You, a lot of your thoughts are almost verbatim what I was like writing in my notes at the time. Um, I thought this was like the 2006 ROH equivalent of a TV match where it, you kind of t- touched on this right at the top. Like it felt appropriate for its purposes – but it's like its main purpose wasn't to be like the best match it could be. It was another one of those matches where, yeah, like it felt like on a big show, these guys would have gone longer and done more and done better. I, I just don't understand why it wouldn't have been its purpose. It's not like this little show was so loaded with like these incredible matches that they yeah. couldn't have they couldn't have used another one. Like like oh, we can't steal the show from these bigger, better matches. Like no, I think that would have been fine if they tried to steal the show here. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Like this is a ma- this is a card that I think desperately. And the undercard could have used one or two matches where the guys just decided, like, we're going to take the chains off. We're going to just gonna go crazy and try and steal the show. And you get a lot of ma- more matches like this where it's like, oh, it's kind of sedate and kind of – it does – it fulfills its purpose. But, yeah, like, the, it just felt like here they weren't trying to have the best match. They were trying to show that Seidel's the underdog here. You know, they're they're having Hero show off again how he can be the big heel bully. And, of course, the end result – sets up a future tag title match. And like you, I enjoyed Hero playing the bully here. I liked him catching Seidel on a dive to the floor and then hot shot him onto the ring apron. I liked him stretching Seidel in a submission at one point where he's basically like just hanging Seidel by his own neck over his back. I, I thought, I thought that was cool. I always enjoy when hero breaks out the running atomic drop, like hashtag bring back the drop. It's it, I, 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 more people should do that. Um, I also loved at one point when the crowd was, um, was was clapping to get behind Seidel. Hero just turns the crowd in this very dismissive tone. He just goes, "Your clapping does nothing." I just, I just love that. It's like, you know, just a, a very withering, like, like, okay, good clap for him. But, and I did like the end. I, I, I thought that was a smart piece of business to play off the Davy Richards Claudio finish, where just like you know, Hero used the briefcase to help Claudio. Claudio's going to return the favor, but this time, unlike Richards had no one in his corner, Seidel does. Daniels knows what's coming. He stops Claudio from getting the briefcase. They brawl to the back. And in fact, not only that, 
Kiro is distracted by them brawling to the back, which allows Seidel to hit the the missile drop kick and then go for the finish. So I thought, yeah, hey, that's a nice little payoff that kind of gives you a an in-show storyline where, yeah, the heels successfully cheated on one match, but then the faces like knew it was coming when they tried it again. But yeah, overall, I would say this was like a little bit above average, but you know, it's not going to be one of those huge tape selling matches that, you know, not every match on a card needs to be that. But again, like we were talking about just before, I think this is a car, this is a car that could have used one or two more of those kinds of matches. But, um, yeah, so that's that. Um, next, we cut to Dave Prezak in the ring, letting the fans know this is like around intermission time, I guess, that tickets are available when tickets are available for Ring of Honor's return to Detroit WrestleMania weekend when Jim Cornette marches back to the ring. Cornette says he wasn't planning on coming back to the ring, but a nine-year-old boy came out to him and asked him why he ran from homicide earlier. And that got him thinking, why did, he, why did I run from homicide? He goes, homicide's nothing but a street punk. A couple months ago, homicide spit in my face. If any of these fans think they can change how I think about homicide, you can kiss my big fat white ass. Cornette reminds us that he swore he'd make Homicide's life a living hell and prevent him from winning the ROH world title. Cornette says his knee is better after getting surgery on it, so he challenges Homicide to come out and fight him one-on-one, calling him the middle names, including at one point he simply calls says, you woman, which, ah, the the classic wrestling days where being a woman was one of the worst things you could call somebody. (laughs) Um... Uh, like it's not even like lasted, you, you lasted very late into the into the 21st century where that was an acceptable insult. Not even like you bitches. He's just like you woman. <laughs> and um, so Cornet throws off his coat, and out homicide comes, and homicide is like grinning ear here. He loves the Cornet's challenge. He's, he's like, I'm going to kill this guy, and he calls him a fat uh, bastard, which made me think. Do you remember when the Big Show was doing all those costumes and like and impressions? in the uh, 2000s and he was fat bastard one time <laughs> i don't remember that i'll have to go back and check that remember um, when the big show wrestled kurt angle as hulk hogan <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of sad that like big show was like one of the classic of his era like oh this guy's actually kind of funny and charismatic yeah. like yeah. more than wrestling funny and charismatic and he did get some acting work you know cap famously captain insano and some movie stuff but like I feel like that's a guy who probably could do more in Hollywood than he's than he's been given. Yes. But um anyway, Homicide puts on some little gloves and he's just he's prepping to go into the ring. And just as Homicide's entering the ring, Cornet tells him to pause. So he's like, so I can get ready. And Cornet starts doing some stretches and jumping jacks. And again, this like, you know, we have not been high on Cornet lately. This is the second bit he's done this night that I thought was Fairly funny, actually, like legitimately funny. Yeah, yeah. This was def- this was the best Cornette performance uh, in months, I would say. In our yeah, and he d- he does some karate moves even, and then Homicide steps in the ring. He grabs Cornette, who immediately regrets his challenge of Biggs off. Which I just thought the funny logic of like Cornette challenges Homicide to a fight, and then the second Homicide grabs him, like. What was your strategy? Because he's just like, ah, Homicide kicks him in the stomach. He goes to hit him with the cop killer, but the Briscoes run in. They attack Homicide. They save Cornette. Fans immediately chant for Samoa Joe. Briscoes hold Homicide and and Cornette spits right in Homicide's face. Gang revenge for the cage of death match. Spit in the face after the match. Briscoes go to hit Homicide with a spike J driller. When Joe finally runs in, he makes the save. He chases the Briscoes and Cornette out of the ring. Homicide gets on the mic. He calls the three of them an F-word slur. I will not repeat on the show. He no, calls the really, Cornette, really, the, really, the main negative part of this whole segment was that, yeah. Yeah. He calls Cornette a fat fuck. Um, 
Homicide then apologizes to the kids for swearing, and then Homicide proposes to Joe that they take on their Briscoes tonight in a match where pins count anywhere. Joe thinks about it and goes, you know, I say in Detroit we have ourselves a street fight. So we get like a, a main event made on the fly for in but the middle of the show. By, which... by, by the people involved in the segment that who were not the ones who had matchmaking power. They're the ones exactly, that made the stipulation. Yeah. yeah, this was kind of a nothing segment, but like – it was fairly well done. The, the thing that I, the thing that I've been noticing though, is like this homicide stuff does not get such great reactions in a lot of these cities. Like the in the night before too, was not getting the best reactions of the night. Like the homicide cornet angle, like you know, it's there. The crowd like acknowledges it, but they don't seem that psyched for it. You know? Yeah, it's where it's like the crowd still. I feel like he's losing a bit because of the angle, but like yeah. the crowd, like cornet when he's when he's like really playing to the crowd, he still gets. Good reactions. Homicide's still beloved in Ring of Honor. But, 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 when but, I, get... but, but, but I do think Homicide seems less over than he usually does here. Like, Joe gets bigger reactions than Homicide, which for obvious reasons he's a bigger star. But, like, like I feel like Homicide's reactions during the CZW feud were way bigger than they are during this. Yeah, and it's just – it's fine. I know Gabe has said, like, he doesn't know why this angle – did not do as well as he thought it would. Like, he acknowledges this angle didn't really catch on. I think it just feels but, very WWE. I think that's the reason. Yeah. It's just not what people go to Ring of Honor for. Matt, when have we ever seen a wrestling company get criticized for becoming more like WWE? When it used to be an alternative. That, that, yeah, yeah. that never happens. Although, although, I um, say, although I will say, I don't think a lot of people vocalized that at the time. But I, I think no. that, that I think that's like my my diagnosis. It's just like people don't go to Ring of Honor to watch people fight against the uh, the authority to overcome the odds as a heroic babyface. They go to Ring of Honor because they want to see like really good competitive wrestling matches. But yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that because I, I do think if for people that aren't watching every show along with us, I do think that is one of the the kind of weird things you do miss. Where yeah, like like Matt said, I think if you don't watch it, you really don't get like you are right. Like it is weird how hot homicide goes. They shoot this big angle, and yeah, he is losing something. You know, yeah, on, well, you know luck, his... luckily when you get to final battle in New York, you know, it's New York City. People want to see him win. Like you would never know that he lost momentum if you when you do that. But like most other shows between now and then, there's a lot less passion for homicide than there usually is. Yeah. Um. So it's intermission now. Dave Prezak's backstage with Delirious. He asks him what's next after winning Survival of the Fittest and beating Zach Gowan tonight. Uh, Delirious cuts a promo on Delirious Ease where it's clear he's looking forward to his world title shot because we can hear him mention Brian Danielson and Austin Aries by name. Delirious says he never gave up on anything, and he also says one more shot and champion. So just a Delirious promo. Um, That brings us to a six-man mayhem match. Um, Pele Primo defeated Dave Christ, Jake Christ, Jimmy Rave, Matt Cross and Shane Hagedorn in eight minutes, 10 seconds when he pinned Rave with a, with a forward roll, I guess I would describe it. So yeah, this was, um, th- this was, uh, Matt Cross's ring of honor debut and he's really over to the local crowd. They must have some awareness of him. They're even chanting M dog, which was, you know, he, before he wrestled as Matt Cross, he was wrestling as M dog 20 on the Indies. So they're, you know, there are fans here that very much know who he is and are happy to see him. But well, I felt I think like he's a, um, he's a Midwestern guy. He's not from Michigan, yeah. but I think, you know, I think he's from like Ohio, uh, you know, nearby States yeah. and stuff. So I think that's probably part of it. 
So even this kind of felt like the B-show version of a scramble. Like it wasn't – I would describe it – it's not that much lesser than what you would see from a lot of scrambles on the bigger shows, which also often feature lower card guys like this and aren't very long like this is. But everything just felt like 10% less than you might see. It, like, But this match still gives you what you kind of – what scrambles are designed to give you, I would say what their purpose in ring of honor is, which is you get this relatively short burst of spots and action and nothing else, you know, no psychology. They give you the dive train. No one does any giant botches. Matt cross, you know, looks pretty good. He gets to do a few of his like impressive signature spots that show his really great strength and body control, like his fake outs on dives, his drop kicks to the floor. But I will say, the crowd is shockingly silent for portions of this match when wrestlers aren't doing like the absolute biggest moves. And there is like action pretty constantly, but it's like, if it's not the biggest stuff, crowd's kind of like, eh, whatever. It's also interesting that the two people that really like injected personality into this match were the two people that had like wrestled for the least amount of time, the ring of honor students, like Hagedorn is his usual smarmy heel self. He knows what notes to hit the Chris have him up for, for like a big move. And he's like, Oh no. Like while he's in midair, like he has the presence of mind to like kind of be the comical heel, even mid moves. And Pelly Primo. Meanwhile, he's, he's a great underdog. We've seen that already from his very limited appearances. He's really good at showing fire. He and also having that fire like completely extinguished when he gets cut off by a heel like Jimmy Rave and it all leads to a big upset win for him. And I feel like that win kind of told two stories in one because it feels like this win's kind of the start of Pelly being one of the more featured rookies in the entire Gabe era of Ring of Honor. And in fact, I think this is also maybe the first Pelly crowd surf we see on a Ring of Honor DVD and Rave being the guy that take the fall in this match where maybe you wouldn't expect that simultaneously is telling the story of him being kind of lost in a drift post embassy. And we know there's few things Gabe Sapolsky liked more than having an excuse to have a guy lose a few times before you repackage them. So he, you know, Rave's in that mode. Overall, this was like a strong average to me. I've seen a million scrambles. Most of them have fallen to the category of I've enjoyed it well enough in the moment, but I'll forget about it almost immediately. And this match will soon join that large group of matches, I would say. Yeah, I would agree with you. Right down to the uh, idea that, you know, the things that stood out about the match were the students, you know, like Hagedorn's personality and Pele, you know, getting the crowd behind him. And um, Matt Cross's, uh, you know, some of his more unique uh, high spots. And um, it's funny, I mentioned Jared David going really hard on certain wrestlers here. He was really, him, both the announcers actually were pretty brutal on Hagedorn here. You know, from a kayfabe point of view, not from an actual, mm-hmm. like, not like in a Jim Ross-like way. Like, where you, um, Dave Prezak calls him a bully and, and or Jared David actually calls him a bully and says he hates him. And then Prezak <laughs> calls him a kiss-ass for Pierce, which is very rare to hear an announcer say they hate a wrestler. Um, <laughs> and I don't remember Jared David ever doing anything close to that before here. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there were you know a few fun spots, and uh, you know I did like the finish in the sense of you know like like you said, uh, it serves a few purposes of kind of starting this trend of Primo getting upset wins and crowd surfing, and it starts rave down the path of reinventing himself, which was quite necessary. Um, you know, I mean, with this lineup of guys in terms of their experience and star power, like this was not going to be the best. Uh, six-man mayhem match, right? Like, it was just not possible. But in the time they had, they did what they needed to do. And, um, you know, it had some focus on the heels, like Raven had a door, and that helped give it an identity. So, 
I, I liked it. You know, I, I probably liked it even maybe maybe slightly more than you. Um, still nothing that I'll super remember. But and the crowd wasn't that excited for Primo's win, but it was a fun little twist. And I, um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was it was fine. I also just want to say Pele is really good celebrating after the match. Like one of the better post-match celebrations we've seen <laughs> on through the years work. He's yes. not just crowd surfing, but he hugs the ref and like knocks, topples the ref over with like this leaping hug. He throws a chair and he's basically having what I can only describe is I don't, didn't know this existed, can, could exist. A happy tantrum. Yeah. Like he's just like throwing stuff, but like happily. Are you like Trent, you Trent, really Trent, you've heard it here first. Trevor Dame did not know that somebody could be, uh, really, really excited. I've been happy about something. <laughs> Matt, it's the first time I've ever seen this from anybody. <laughs> um, you have rarely seen I've, ne- I've never, certainly never caused it to happen from somebody. So um, you've rarely seen a wrestler celebrate this much, though, which again, yeah. I, I think is, it, it emphasizes the underdog character because huh? he treats, you know, what would be a minor win for anyone else as like the big, I, I wrote my notes, he treated it like he had just won the Super Bowl and immediately after he won the Super Bowl was told that his prior cancer diagnosis was a mistake. Like <laughs> that that's how big a reaction this was. Yeah, I feel like the cancer one you'd probably just mostly be relieved. Um but you know what? <laughs> I'm not gonna judge anyone's uh reactions to anything. Um I will say it does make sense to be really excited when you have your first ever win in in against like name wrestlers on a main show and it's uh it's in a match that no one expects you to win, including you. Yeah. And unintentionally, it is also like the most underdog thing where you get your first big win in front of like one of the smallest crowds in the history of the promotion because these massive sports events happen in the town. Like that, that's, it's almost like you're the ultimate underdog because when, even when you get a big win, like it's the one show where no one's there to see it. Like it's, <laughs> it's a, it's a great underdog moment. But, um, that brings us to the semi-main event. One of the two real – the matches that are being asked to do the heavy lifting on this show at this point. Um, Ring of Honor World title match. Brian Danielson successfully defended the title when he defeats Austin Aries via pinfall in 22 minutes, 46 seconds with the small package. So, Matt, before I throw it to you, like I, I just felt like continuing the B-Show theme, I was thinking about this match, and I felt like this felt like a B-Show main event to book in the sense of – in wrestling history, there's these two patterns promotions have fallen into. The first is like you have a big match and you run that match on a bunch of house shows. And when you've toured a bunch with it and you've kind of exhausted it onto like live crowds, then you do it on TV and pay-per-view as kind of the blow off to get all the fans who couldn't see it live. And then there's the opposite kind of way. Man, where and that, that was the 80s like Saturday night's main event model of uh, of booking big matches. Yeah, or like in a way that's the kind of like what comedians do these days, right? Like you tour, tour material everywhere, and then when you're just about done with it, you shoot the TV special, and then you never do it again, that material. Um, then there's the other way where you do the match on TV and pay-per-view, and once it's been exhausted on TV and pay-per-view, you still run the house shows with the idea that like, hey, yeah, the thrill of seeing this match on TV might be gone, but some of these markets have never seen the match live before, so maybe there's still some juice of like, hey, you haven't seen Randy Orton and John – you've seen Randy Orton and John Cena on TV 18 times – but in Poughkeepsie, you've never seen it live before, so maybe you'll still buy a ticket for it. Um, this match felt kind of like the latter to me, where it was like, okay, you've seen this match a lot, but Detroit, you haven't seen this match. But the funny thing is, like, when you look at the original booking of it and the history of these two, it really shouldn't have. Because when I started to think about it, it's like, first off, if you count the Survival of the Fittest 2004 finals as a match between these two, which I do, even though technically it was a six-person elimination match, but it came down to them, to the two of them, and they had basically like a full-length match. These guys have wrestled four times a Ring of Honor before, and they're tied at two wins apiece. So 
that alone should be a big deal. This is like the tiebreaker. Then the fact on top of that, you have the fact that every Aries and Danielson match before this had some kind of significance. Like the survival of the fist match was one of the career breakouts for Aries. The 74 minute testing the limit match was notable for the insane length of the match. And Aries getting one of, like one of his first big wins in the company. The nowhere to run match was the match they used to like write Brian Danielson out of the company for months where Aries successfully defends the title against Brian. And they use that as the write out for Brian. Cause Brian basically after that match backstage says, you know, if I can't win the world title at this point, you know, being in Ring of Honor is meaningless to me. I quit. And then when Brian comes back, their fourth match was at Enter the Dragon. That was, you know, the least important, I would say, of their four matches up to that point. But it was the match where, um, you know, it was Brian's it was, it was first Danielson, title defense. Yeah, Danielson's first title defense, yeah. Yeah, and it was – even that was kind of telling the story of like that needed to be his first title defense because he kind of needed to prove to himself that like if I'm going to be champion, I need to prove I can still beat this guy. you know. And 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 so here on all that, it's like this should feel like a big match, especially on top of that. This match had previously scheduled for two shows that while not giant shows were big shows because we've documented like this was originally supposed to be one of the big matches on the second half of the UK double shot. But Aries bruises his ribs the night before in the match with him and Roddy against the Briscoes. So it gets rescheduled to uh, Glory by Honor weekend in 2006, the first night, which, again, that show turned out to be not necessarily a huge show. That turned out to be Kenta in a tenta because of the, the, the sudden venue change. But if you look on that card on paper, it was preloaded up by Friday night 2006 Ring of Honor standards, right? Like you had Roderick Strong versus Samoa Joe, Kenta and Marafuji against the Briscoes, and you were supposed to get Aries and Danielson for the world title. So, and of course that match got canceled because Danielson hurt his shoulder really bad and they wanted to save him that weekend just for the big Kenta match. So in theory, like, it's weird, like, this match should feel really significant, and yet... For some reason, it didn't. And so I want to know what you thought about the match. I also want you like, am I crazy for feeling that way? Like, I, I was watching this match. I was like, why doesn't this feel big? Well, it's because nobody thought that Aries had a chance to win. Um, yeah. And also, this was on a show that just didn't feel big, you know, whether because of the size of the crowds or the, like, the level of reactions, which were all right, but not particularly – it wasn't, like, a particularly hot crowd. So I think that's why. I also think just a little bit of like just how like snake bit it was. It's just that it's just kind of a funny coincidence that both guys in the title match happened to have lost their luggage and had to wear weird gear in the match. Um, <laughs> and it's funny that um, I don't know if, if you noticed this, but like to me, when Danielson had like the no knee pads and the blue trunks and stuff, it made him look younger to me. Like he was 25 here and he looked every bit of like this fresh faced kid, which I don't usually think when I see Danielson, even in that era, he looked very young to me. I don't know what it was. Um, also, when I guess maybe because it was Prazak doing the ring introductions instead of Bobby Cruz, but Danielson doesn't interrupt him to get, you know, mm. to like, you know, like, you know, and the greatest wrestler you've ever seen, asshole, yeah. like, or whatever Danielson usually does. Um, but um, as far as things go, I actually, um, I like this match more than the Enter the Dragon match. Um, even though it didn't have a ton of heat, that one didn't really either. And, you know, Danielson had not really developed his championship character yet at that point. Yeah. Um, and this was, you know, by Danielson world title standards, this match was short. It was like, well, like 22, 23 minutes. And that's short for a Danielson title match. But I thought that actually worked to its advantage because it was to the point. It was focused. It never got boring, I don't think. Um, and it never really meandered. You know, Danielson definitely worked his his style. You know, he... Uh, 
you know, he definitely, you know, did his, his he had uh, anger when it needed to. He had a smirk when he needed to. But he didn't spend a lot of time taunting with the crowd. He was pretty focused. Um, in fact, if anyone was trying to be silly here, it was Aries because they do a, a spot where they trade camel clutches, and then when Aries gets Danielson in the camel clutch, he yells the very topical in 2006 <laughs> iron cheek rant line he yells be brian blair make you humble dragon like everyone was riffing on that at the time mm-hmm. um um he never mentioned anything about fucking danielson's ass um but but that is the subtext right when you say that at, at that point. you know ever everyone was a comedian back then but um there is one point where, um, after avoiding a drop kick, Danielson does – he slaps Aries in the face and he yells, you think that shit's going to work on me? I'm the world champ. So he gets a little bit vocal here. Um, um, but they they um, they do some fun stuff that's like a callback to their other matches. Like at one point, Danielson starts working a bear hug, which was a, a big motif in the uh, survival of the fittest match. In fact, that's how Danielson won the match. Is he got him in a bear hug and he turned it into this weird, like almost like Boston crabish style bear hug thing and got Aries to tap out to that. So I appreciated that because, you know, it's not like Danielson works bear hugs in most of his matches. Um, I also like, you know, Aries tried to break it by clapping his arms together, but Danielson grabbed him again and just belly to belly suplexed him. I love how willing Danielson is to just do moves that he never does. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Aries, you know, for most of his comeback, the crowd doesn't totally buy it. But, you know, he does get, you know, a somewhat decent uh, reaction when they they do a spot where Danielson avoids the brain buster, then avoids the crucifix bomb, makes the rope and gets Aries up for the airplane spin. But Aries elbows him down and locks in the what they call the horns of Aries, I guess, I think before they gave him that name. And the crowd actually chants for a tap. Um, I thought that was a very good sequence. Um, there's another good one where um, um, Danielson goes, uh, you know, he gets a two count off a back soup, belly to back superplex, goes right into the, the elbows to the side of the head and the chicken wing, which is how he beat Aries in the Enter the Dragon match. Um, and Aries got the bottom rope. Then uh, they, they fight through the cattle mutilation where Aries keeps rolling through so Danielson can't fully lock it on. And then. Uh, Aries elbows back, goes for the brain buster, but Danielson blocks. And they have this really, what I thought was a cool sequence where they trade uh, hard forearms and then roaring forearms. And then Aries goes for the brain buster and Danielson knees him, but Aries hits it anyway. And then Danielson rolls out of the way of the 450. Small packages Aries and gets the sudden win. So I appreciate that he won in a different way than he had been in the other matches. Um, I thought that as far as just like an overall wrestling package, this was definitely the best match of the weekend. Um, it had pretty good intensity. And, uh, you know, I thought Aries was so much better than he was the night before. This is actually probably the best Aries has looked to me in a while um, in terms of singles matches. And Danielson just seemed to be having fun. You know, wasn't, it definitely wasn't like A plus Danielson, but I'd say it was a solid B plus or A minus Danielson. So I thought this was a. A very good match, honestly. Like, I, it wasn't their best match, but it wasn't their worst match either. I thought it was very good. So, um, first off, a little trivia. I was doing some research for this, and uh, like days ago, but I, this is like I was watching this match and thinking it's crazy. It feels like you know this is five matches in Ring of Honor so far. It feels like you know we've seen these guys wrestle a million times. 
Do you know, Matt, that like in Ring of Honor history, we're not even at the halfway point at the number of singles matches these guys have? Well, they have the series in 2007 that's, um, you know, where they're, 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 I think it's a best of five, right? Where they're going for um, like the, the winner gets a world title shot. These guys have had 12 singles matches in Ring of Honor. So, like, we're not even at the halfway point, although in through the years we are at more at the halfway point, because I'm going to tell you, we're not going to be watching all the way to the end of their of their runs. But Yeah, like, by, 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 you, two, that, by, two, that, by the end of 2007, I think they'll have had at least five more. So the, these guys have, have had a, a lot together. Um, my feelings are I kind of come eventually to a similar rating, but from a different view like i would this is matt it's time to bring back the trevor dam classic the food analogy i've probably even used this one before this is one of those matches i describe as an ice cream sundae without any of the extras like if someone asks you you know would you like an ice cream sundae you could give them two scoops of ice cream and squirt some chocolate or strawberry syrup on and technically that's a sundae like that's a cheap cheapo Dairy Queen or McDonald's ice cream sundae. And you would be happy with that, like maybe disappointed, but you'd be happy with that because ice cream and chocolate syrup, that's pretty darn good. But you'd be disappointed because in your mind, you know what a sundae can be when there's whipped cream and chopped up nuts and sprinkles and a cherry on top. And the funny thing is all those elements on their own aren't that special. Like you're never going to sit down to a plate of sprinkles or like a plate of chopped nuts, but they're all these little extras to the main thing. And when they're all together on like the base thing, it elevates it. And when they're all off the Sunday, I, I, do, you miss I, it. I do have at least one friend that I know for sure would enjoy a bowl of sprinkles. Matt, you need new friends. You need to think wow. you're to start a new wow. life. <laughs> Look, I used to think I was the best example of you needing new friends, but they're, 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 someone's risen to the top. They've taken my spot. But um, we oh can talk God. about that much later. Um, this to me, Matt, this match I would describe as it's a couple scoops of ice cream with a squirt of syrup. It's a Sunday. Sundays are great. I felt like this was Brian Danielson versus Austin Aries at its most standard with nothing to differentiate it. it, it it's like the foundation match these two would have that you could say, okay, like that's a strong base. Now add a twist to it, add a unique element on top, except there really isn't. But then at the end, I was like, okay, this is like three and a half stars. This is like my low point for Brian Danielson's title reign. I, it's good, but it's just very plain. But then the finish, which you described a bunch of it, was a sequence I genuinely really liked. Like the final two minutes I thought were the best two minutes of the show thus far, hands down. And you described it, but I'll go into it again. Like this whole happens in two minutes. Danielson's just on the belly to back superplex for a near fall. He starts doing the elbows to the head finish. When that doesn't work, he transitions to the cross ice chicken wing. Aries tries to stand up and fight out of it, but Brian drags him back down. Aries makes his way to the ropes. Dragon gets up fuming at this. He goes for the dragon suplex. Aries fights him off. Goes for this backward roll-up pin. And in a really neat twist, Brian just, like, keeps letting Aries roll. He, he like, he sidesteps. He just lets Aries roll until he's in position for the cattle mutilation. Aries fights off that by standing. So Brian starts doing the elbows to the head from a standing position, which is something he, is rare for him. Yeah, it's almost, he like, it's he's almost like in an abdominal stretch and, like, hitting yeah. the elbows. Yeah. Then he tries to go for the regal plex. Aries counters to the elbows of the head on of his own. Aries goes for the brain buster, but Brian blocks it. Aries forearms Brian in the face, and so Brian fires back with one of his own. They start trading the forearms, like you said. Aries finishes the duel with this brutal, smacking-sounding, roaring elbow. Brian goes to try and hit one of his own, but Aries just elbows him mid, like, roaring elbow. Aries then goes for the brain buster again. Brian knees him in the head as he lifts him. So Aries tries again. 
Brian knees him in the head again as he has him in midair, but Aries just like goes, fuck it, you can knee me in the head, I'm going to hit you with the Brain Buster anyway. Aries goes with the 450, Brian rolls out of the way, gets up, runs and pulls him down into a small package for the win. In another one of those small package Danielson wins where you just feel like all the momentum had turned against him, and he gets out with that small package just by like the skin of his teeth. And again, all that I described to you is a little over two minutes of action. Easily the best two minutes we've seen so far on the night. And not because you were seeing all their big signature moves, even though you were, but because if you listen to like that description, like there's so many little struggles there, you know, like everything there felt like a, it wasn't just like, like so many wrestlers do where it feels like, okay, you hit your signature. I hit my signature. Like everything there, there was just enough where it felt like a struggle. There's enough counters there, but it wasn't also like counter crazy. It just really made it feel like a battle and not two guys robotically trading moves. It's like, that's where you really see the talent of these guys. But before those two minutes, again, I was going to say this was like, the worst Danielson title defense. And yet I was still going to give it a strong, good and three and a half stars. I think that two minutes, it almost might put it up to three and three quarters, but I'm not sure. But here's what, so I liked it probably in a way like my same rating, but I kind of sound more down on it than you. But I think when all is said and done about Brian Danielson, this match really got me thinking is I think one of the most impressive things about him is not the heights he can hit in his best matches, but I think he, and Matt, like, I'll be interested in your thoughts on this. I think in the history of wrestling, he might be the guy with the highest and most consistent floor. Like, I think the only wrestler who even has a case to compete with him in that respect is Ric Flair. And I don't even know if Ric Flair beats him. Like, I don't think there's another wrestler that has had fewer bad or even average matches like than Brian Danielson, at least in terms of frequency per like, you know, their batting average and whose general low, like what you would say his worst match on averages is, is high. Like, let me clarify. Like, I think Brian has had worse matches than three and a half stars. I'm sure if I sit and think and look over results, I can remember matches he had that were average or even below average, but they're rarer than anyone I could think of. And again, I think during this title run, this year plus title run, I don't think I would give a match of his less than three and a half stars, which think about that. Like this is a five star scale and my five star scale, Two and a half stars is average. Like, it's not bad. It's not good. It's Conrad Kennedy the third. It doesn't give you much pain. doesn't give you much pleasure. I think three stars is, like, at the level where you're actively having a fun time. Maybe it has significant flaws, or maybe it's just aiming to be three stars, but it's good. And I think four stars is great. To me, four stars is the point where I'd historically say, hey, this is worth making an effort to see. Um, so think about that. Like, the same Brian Danielson's, like, low, generally, is three and a half stars. That's, like, his floor. That's halfway between good and great. Like, th- th- that's pretty freaking incredible. And this match kind of made me think about that. That's him at his lowest to me on average. And this is on a night, remember, where he's wrestling with a horrifically injured shoulder in gear that isn't his own. And from one of the smallest crowds this promotion has ever drawn. And it still gives you a really special final two minutes. And it's still pretty goddamn good. And, and um, like I, to, to kind of sell it, like sell my point one more time, I'm going to go f- do something I'm not doing very often, Matt. I'm going to reinforce this point by going cage match prowling. And I'll tell you this. So of those 12 Brian Danielson, Austin Aries, RH singles matches, the users of cage match have given this match. They view this match as the worst Danielson Aries match. They give you. So, you know, on cage match, if you don't know, Anyone can give any match a, a rating from one to ten, and it gets averaged out. So this match has the lowest rating of all ten. I mean, all twelve Aries and Danielson um, 
singles matches on Cage Reaction. You I know per- what the I, average? I, I personally do not agree with that, but that's fine. But do you know what the average score for this match is out of ten? As the as of the worst of the twelve they've had. The average they score. Gave, uh, the uh, you're asking me what the average score is? Yeah, for this match. Oh, and and oh, knowing oh. it's the it's the lowest rated of the twelve matches they've had. Six point five. Seven point one out of ten. All right. Like, th- think about that. Like, you know, if if the worst thing you do in your if you do so, anything in life and the worst you are is a seven out of ten, you're pretty goddamn great. You know, like most things in life you would kill if like your worst day usually is a seven out of ten, and. Yeah, the, so in a weird way, the, I, I will just say it again. I don't know if you I, – I want to know if you agree about the low floor thing, the, the high floor thing. But this was a match where even though I would argue it's one of like the least interesting matches of Danielson's title reign so far, it kind of made me appreciate like how great he is in a new way. Yeah, I um, hmm. I mean obviously I already appreciated how great he was. Um, so yeah. it's not like you have to convince me, but – I'm I'm trying to think through his title match to see if I agree that this was like the lowest of his title matches. Um, I don't. Like, would you I'd... put as the other low ones like the Saban one or the Steve Carino one? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, and Xavier, and um, you know, um, maybe even the Sua one. Um, I'd have to rewatch it. I know I liked it. I liked all those matches. You know, um, you know, I so I certainly agree with you that you know that they were good matches you know i'm not and i don't know maybe i've given one of those lower than three and a half but again i I don't think i've ever said like anything wasn't at least good in this title ring you know yeah no no no, for sure um at least as far as the title matches you know he's been in a couple of like tag team matches and stuff um you know that like you know obviously you probably don't count the first cabana match that ended in five minutes you know what you know where does the first delirious match rank that was a more of like a kind of a um, him decimating delirious. Mm-hmm. I'd have to really take some time and go through, even maybe like listen back to what I thought when I first watched them um, to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously he has a very high floor and, but he also has very high highs. I, I'm trying to think of, you know, some other wrestlers that I think would fit in that category. You know, like what about, you know, I know it's hard to talk about, but Chris Benoit, you know, I think is certainly a guy that a lot of people would say back at the time, like really, had almost always pretty good and often very excellent matches. Um, yeah. One guy like that, you know, even, you know, I know he was kind of a polarizing figure, but what about like a Kurt Angle, you know, who was great right away. And of course I'm just talking about American wrestling right here. You mm-hmm. know, if you go, if you go toward Japan and you look at like guys like, you know, Kobashi or, you know, Misawa and guys like that, you know, they probably, I mean, they definitely had more great matches than Danielson because they, wrestled to have great matches more often for many, many years, you know? And so I, uh, it's just, it's, it's so hard to compare eras and things like that. Um, yeah. That I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. You know, he's certainly, he's certainly a contender for that position for sure. Yeah. It, it, it's just, and obviously, yeah, like you said, it's a different eras, you know, there are guys that we have not seen as much footage on and, and, you know, Brian, you know, it's a different time. Like indie wrestling was different than saying, yeah, I mean, we've, we pro- we've gotten to watch an unbelievably high percentage of Brian Danielson's matches in his entire career. You know what I mean? Like, obviously yeah. there's plenty that we didn't see from the indies, but like guys from that era, you know, we've gotten to, we've just gotten to see a ridiculously high amount of their matches. Whereas I think. You know, um, guys in other eras, we just 
have, you know, and, and women too, we just haven't had the chance to see as many of the matches. One other note I want to give about this match before we move on is a little thing. If anyone who's watching before the match, watch where Aries is walking around. Someone at ringside actually throws something at Aries and it hits Aries and Aries like gets legitimately angry and like yells at the fan for a second. And I wonder if like, so we're getting to the point where soon with the embassy gimmick ending, Jimmy Rave will like, they will tell fans you can't throw toilet paper anymore. And I do feel like in Ring of Honor, you were starting to see people like get thrown stuff thrown at them a little more often, like just in general. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons why they were like, you know what, let's, if we're putting it into the embassy, let's like, let's really explicitly tell them no toilet paper because it did feel like you were starting to see fans getting more emboldened just to like throw, like a Chris Hill sometimes, maybe even on this night, I forget, you know, fans would just help like throw some garbage at them occasionally. And it's like, it's interesting that throughout the history of wrestling, there are these eras where like, Throwing stuff becomes in vogue, you know, like like WCW, Mm -hmm. you know, in the NWO era. And that sort of like bled into WWF for a little bit, too, to the point where I was just listening to Between the Sheets and they were covering the 1997 week where there were like basically riots that caused two WWF house shows to basically end early because of so much stuff being thrown at DX. Um, Yeah. So, you know, it's 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 just interesting and obviously it never gets like that in Ring of Honor because the fan base is totally different. But I think there's a lot of promotions, you know, find this out the hard way where it's just like, you know, we can't really encourage the crowd to throw things. Yeah, it's the same thing with like I, I've referenced this before, but like Meltzer always used to go back and like in the 90s be like get on like WCW for doing angles where – you know, they'd have plants like run in the ring because he'd be like, when you do a couple of those, then magically you start seeing more actual fans emboldened to go like, hey, this is a thing you can do. You can run in the ring, which I still don't know why fans would do that, because like anytime you see it, it's always ends with like Randy Savage kicking a guy's face. And like I never I never feel like there's no amount of like the pleasure of being on TV that could make up for getting the living shit behalf me. But like some fans once they see a couple guys get away with it, they get like emboldened to be like, yeah, I could do that. Um, so yeah, after the match, Aries leaves the ring. Brian stays to celebrate. When Samoa Joe's music hits, he rushes the ring to attack Brian. Brian tries to fight back, but Joe levels him with a big lariat. The Briscoes then rush the ring and beat down Joe as Brian escapes. Homicide then runs to the ring. And the main event is on. No introductions, no theme music apart from those few seconds of Joe's music when he came out to fight Danielson. And we get right into Falls County where tag team street fight main event. The Briscoes of Jay and Mark defeat Homicide Samojo in 1850 when Jay pinned Homicide after a spike Jay driller. So um, in 2006, we started seeing more shows like this where what the show had been up to before this main event where – which were B market, and you 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 talked about this earlier, Matt. Like you were talking, you mentioned um, that how you th- you felt like we were getting to this era now where the double shots were starting to see like maybe that diluting the quality of the shows and the efforts maybe. And I felt like we were starting to see more B market shows like this where they're not bad, but they're missing things. Like 2006 Ring of Honor so far had been like the Brian Danielson of wrestling feds where they had this really high baseline quality in terms of like, even their worst shows really haven't been bad at all. But the two things I would say is like the lowest rated 06 B market shows that like the, we were starting to see more of is they didn't even have a lot. We're seeing more of them where you didn't even really see a lot of the wrestlers giving that same 100% effort they'd give in a major Ring of Honor event. Or even you'd be seeing shows that they didn't even have like that one moment or match that you felt like, okay, this is 
distinctive. This is worth going out of your way to buy a DVD for. And then I felt like this was one of those shows where I was like, oh, this is a textbook show before the main event of like the effort's not quite 100% from a lot of the guys, which maybe it's understandable because there's only 325 people. There's nothing worth going out of your way to see. There's nothing really noteworthy, important on this show in a major way. And then I felt like this main event delivered on all that. I, I um I do have one minor pet peeve in this match. I'll have to get out. I'll get it over with right out of the way, which is when ma- I hate when matches that are billed as no DQ or street fights or false count anywhere start off kind of wild, which this one does with everyone brawling in the ring and around the ring, and then it randomly like settles down on its own with no enforcement into like an ordered sedate little tag match where everyone like settles into the corners. It's like we're going to pay attention to the tags for a while. And that happens here, and really we get about the first third of this match is in the ring before it spills out to the floor and just gets absolutely insane. But at the same time, I will say the first third of the match is not special, but it's not bad. Even that's not bad at all. It's good. Like they had a couple spots I really liked. I love Mark Briscoe being one of the last wrestlers in Ring of Honor who still tries to some headbutt Samoa Joe and then sells that like, oh, his Samoan head is too hard for me. And I really love I liked that the Bristols did held up Joe for like a long delayed vertical suplex because you don't really see Joe being put in that vulnerable kind of position very often. But anyway, when the match spills to the outside, it becomes a whole other thing. Like the Briscoes make this match to me because they're willing to do insane things that no one else on this car is willing to do in front of 325 fans. Like that no one that probably no one else on this planet is willing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like they, they were bumping on this night. Like it was their WrestleMania. They're, they're getting a million chairs thrown at them at ringside with Joe having some surprisingly good long distance aim. on some of them. And at one point, a closed chair hits Mark in the head with enough force to open itself up and wrap around his neck. Mark proceeds to take not one, but two big suplexes onto rows of open chairs. Jay somehow manages to top this where he go, he puts Joe in a chair and goes for Joe's own Olay kick. And Joe counters by just grabbing a running Jay Briscoe and doing his like big, quick power slam onto the frigging open chair, which just insane. So then the action, like it makes its way to the back of the building and then to the outside with a bunch of the fans. Like it seems like most of the fans follow them outside. Uh, I think it's got to be basically all of them. Or else why would why would anyone choose to stay inside? Yeah, and when they can come back to the ring for the end of the match, like it seems like the arena is mostly empty. So yeah, probably almost everyone's like, we gotta follow this. So then when they're outside the building, Samoa Joe Irish rips Mark Briscoe into a brick wall outside. You see like a a Irish whip in a street fight, which I just loved. Mark then he wa- like runs up the wall and flips off it, and what I think is supposed to be an a, intended as a moonsault, but Joe like completely no sells it, and Mark just like slats on the ground jay gets lawn darted into the side of the roh ring truck with the back of his head hitting like the metal truck really hard and then you get the signature spot of the match which is mark briscoe does a shooting star press off the top of the ring truck onto samoa joe and a million ring of honor students and staffers who were there to catch them honestly the the drop isn't that huge like it's probably not as bad as some really tall ladder and cage drops in terms of height but it just seemed wild and i love that the ring of honor cameras did not telegraph it like if you watch this match they never shoot mark climbing up the truck you just see the guys brawling outside and then all of a sudden everyone's looking up you're going what the hell are they looking up you hear hear them chant please don't die that's what yeah you first tell yeah, and you go, what, where are they reacting to? And then right before he's about to jump, they turn the camera and you see, oh, he's on top. 
and he's doing the shooting star press. And they even show a replay from a different angle, I, I believe. And then the match uses that move to write Joe out of the rest of the match. He immediately grabs his knee and screams, oh, fuck, my fucking knee, in a high-pitched voice I never heard from Joe before that almost convinced me for a second like it was a real injury until you see him being carted out in a very pro-wrestling way. And I do like that they went to um, Joe's knee taking him out of this match rather than anything else because that plays into like a, a thread they've had all year with, you know, Joe missed some shows with a legit knee injury. And then they had Danielson take him out at death before dishonor at the cage of death match with chop blocking the knee. And then they made like Joe's recovery from the knee, a whole part of the build in promos to the Daniels, the first Danielson Joe match after that. And so I like that, that, you know, they bring that back here. Joe gets carted away by students. And uh, speaking of coincidences, we're recording this the day after a dynamite episode where in the main event, the storyline was Joe suffered what we learned was a fake knee injury to take him out of a main event match. So again, <laughs> crazy coins. Um, so anyway, the, the, the match peaks with that spot, but we do have a few more minutes with much of it just being homicide. And the homicides valiantly trying to fight the Briscoes one on two. And he, he gives as good as it gets for a while. And the, the, the theme after the Joe's out is there are like two non-gimmick tables that these three men try and put each other through about 800 times, and there's nothing they can do to break these tables. Like the tables warp. They never break. And at one point, Mark gets so frustrated, he starts stomping on one of these warp tables, and he just – you literally he literally says, break, damn it, and it won't break. Like they keep – it makes you wince because like that has to be like a harder thing. Like these guys keep getting put on these tables, and these tables are like legit tables. They're not breaking. Then the match makes its way back to the ring, and it really feels at that point like after the table spots, the match was done, and they just for whatever reason want to end the match in the ring. So they like just kind of quickly made their way back to the ring and quickly got to the finish, which was the Spike J driller where, um, you know, Homicide eventually, you know, he fights well for a while, but it's two on one. He can't put up forever. I would call this great, not match of the year contender great, but like four stars, maybe even a low four and a quarter. It's not match of the year great, like I just said, but I think it's one of the craziest brawls we've seen so far through the year's history. It's If there's a reason to watch this show, it's this match, and it's just classic Briscoes where on a night where there was no reason for them to give 100%, or as you said, like maybe more than 100% you were talking you you mentioned like you know most wrestlers all wrestlers wouldn't give this effort maybe ever they 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 in, they in a way made the show match in my the show Matt, in my opinion yeah the briscoes especially mark were like machines here like they just were like nonstop doing anything and everything um i pro- i probably liked the match a bit less than you although i think your description made me like it more so i guess you know uh props to you for that um um but, um, you know, I, I also probably was even more annoyed at you at the idea. You know, they, they start out, you know, with, with Homicide making the save for Joe, and then they start brawling, and, and then Mark takes the, his patented insane, like, backdrop bump over the ring post to the floor, um, where he flips over while, while doing it. And then, yeah, they just settle into a tag match, and I, I, even though that part was fine, I feel like this match would have been better if they just dumped that completely. Yeah, and went right to what ended up being most of the match, which is getting to the uh, the ringside area and then into the crowd. Um, you know, I mean, I think it really sorry, it really gets started when um, when Joe starts doing the thing that he did in the uh, match against the Rottweilers at Punk, the final chapter, where he stands in the uh, in the crowd and just starts like chucking chairs 
at the Briscoes. Although I have to say, it was pretty risky because at one point, Jay is standing very close to the guardrail. And he chucks a chair at him like that's like mere inches away from just hitting like a bunch of fans in the head. Like luckily Joe had very good aim because I don't think that happened. But like this throwing chairs thing has really burned ROH a bunch of times in 2006. Yeah. And, you know, maybe they shouldn't do that. You know, I wonder <laughs> if Joe got approval from Gabe before doing it. I uh, I could see either way, you know, <laughs> going either way. Or maybe not Gabe. Maybe Gabe wouldn't even be the one he'd have to ask, right? It would probably be Carrie that he'd have to check in with, right? Um, yeah, because you know, I mean, for people that have been watching and listening to through the years, like or don't remember, like there have been multiple instances in in 2006 ROH of like fans getting hit during chair throwing incidents and like them having to give the fans like talks with Jack, like, hey, do you want to talk to Jack Evans for 20 minutes? Hey, do you want some free DVDs and T-shirts? Like, you yeah. know, you're getting off lucky. <laughs> That's all it takes. And, you know? and, w- and when it's when it's something like this, where if Joe had hit the fan, like that would have been him just do- like, on camera, just directly chucking a chair into a fan's head like that would have been a big problem i think um yeah so all's well that ends well i guess as far as that goes but um when they first got into the crowd i thought it was somewhat boilerplate but then fairly quickly it stopped being that like what you know they they always do the thing where they suplex people onto chairs onto rows of chairs but then there was a spot where mark like charged homicide and homicide backdropped him into onto like a huge like bunch of rows of chairs which looked crazy you know my blood still curdles whenever i see stuff like where a homicide basically just threw chair after chair after chair at mark's head you know again this was about a year before people started getting really conscious about chairs to the head and so they really went in on it here and yeah up until the uh the stuff outside definitely my favorite spot of the night was when uh jay tried to do the ole ole kick and joe reversed it into the power slam onto the chair like that was so well timed it's a spot that you can't do during a normal ole ole kick just because of the position of the chair against the guardrail and Mm -hmm. it it was just it worked so well here i thought that was awesome um, you know, once they got outside, there was no commentary. But what you did get are some interesting chants. Because remember, this is like a, a few hundred people outside of a building chanting. First, holy shit, which I have to imagine sounds weird for the neighbors. And then homicide, which I have to sa- think sounds really <laughs> weird for the neighbors. Like, imagine Not like since- – yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, not since the 2005 Brian Danielson homicide feud, where Brian Danielson during like a street fight was outside in a parking lot screaming yeah. homicide over and <laughs> over again. <laughs> yeah. But um, imagine like you're just like, I don't know, you're in a quiet neighborhood. I don't know like what the neighborhood was like in for this uh, Detroit venue. I don't know if it was in the city or in the suburbs. Um, but let's just say like, you know, you're like a little bit away from even if your house is not that close. Like if there's 300 people chanting homicide, you might think like this is like some sort of like really <laughs> scary rally that's happening near you. Either they're chant either or either or a, a, a rant against like, you know, some sort of police injustice where they're saying homicide has happened when, uh, you know, the police are claiming otherwise. That's the only thing that I could think of. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, the, uh, the spot where, uh, Mark does the shooting star press, it was so, I mean, I, I can't imagine they, they knew that it was going to be timed that well. It feels like they just lucked into turning the camera toward Mark jumping, like 
at the exact right time, just coincidentally. I'm sure they had coverage from the other camera, but like it couldn't have been done better. Like just like it's looking at the crowd. Joe is Joe is beating up Jay, and homicides there, and then all of a sudden the, the camera turns up. Mark leaps off with the shooting star press. We we catch him landing on Joe and Homicide and all the students that do the catch. It was so perfectly timed. It's like, was this even Ring of Honor? This doesn't even feel like something that would be produced this well in Ring of Honor. But it was. Um, I do think that the finish could have been better. I think that, you know, like you said, they kind of rushed right to it. I think that if you're building up Homicide to be this hero, I get you're pr- protecting the Briscoes and you, you're not at the point where you like where they do too much kicking out of finishers. But like Homicide should have gotten a couple of big kickouts, I think, given that they were building him up. But I guess it's a small quibble. It was certainly, you know, like like I said, I have issues with the match a little bit, but it was certainly super memorable and the effort was insane, especially like you said from Briscoes. So you can't really fault that. Uh, it was a spectacle, to be sure. Yeah, and, and this is a match that, like the Danielson Aries match, made me appreciate someone more, like the Briscoes in this case, because I was thinking watching this match, like I've used this analogy before, but you're, you're. For, I feel like for most wrestlers, they kind of go through this cycle where your first few years, you're given 100% every night, because no matter what the show is or the crowd size, because you're young, you feel invincible, you have everything to prove, and you know every night out, you're just doing everything you can. And then you start getting your first aches and nagging injuries. Maybe at the same time, you start getting some better opportunities in wrestling, and you start realizing I got to pace myself if I want to have a career, and I can't go 100% every single night. And you kind of you see wrestlers, they start to kind of budget their performances like some nights you still go for 100 but other nights depending on like the show and the match you might go 90 or 80 70 even 50 or below depending yeah. on who you are although talking about um, Bri- talking about brian danielson it sure doesn't seem like he's doing that these days <laughs> yeah he he's wrestling well he's wrestling like a guy who is, knows he's going to stop doing something he loves and he is going to go absolutely insane while well, he still can't yeah yeah um so I, I think in the previous year plus of Ring of Honor shows we've been watching, we've seen that more with guys like AJ Styles and even Samoa Joe, who I never – I don't think Joe ever gives you a bad performance. He always gives you Samoa Joe, but definitely by Ring of Honor this point, he had reached that stage where like that second career stage where you're starting to see more nights where maybe he dialed down to 70%, which is still enjoyable. And when watching this Briscoes match, we're seeing them do 100% on a show that really honestly probably did not warrant 100% for anyone that I don't think anyone else on this show maybe gave 100%. You know, this is probably going to be like a bottom 20% show in Ring of Honor this year in terms of importance. And they gave 100%. I started to realize, I think one of the things that makes the Briscoes special is I don't know if they ever hit that second or third career stage. I think they kind of always gave 100% like right to the end. Like I'm sure there were nights. I'm not even sure. Like I I, I remember recently Brian Alvarez, Brian Alvarez was talking on a podcast about like being really impressed with like in the last year of the Briscoes, they went to like the Seattle Indy Defy. And he was like impressed like – thinking like these two guys are a stage of the career in their lives where they don't have to on an indie work this hard and they were still like really trying to get these guys over and doing a bunch of stuff and i feel like that's one of the things that make the briscoe special where i i don't know if they ever got to the stage where they were like you know let's budget things like when you watch mark briscoe these days coming back from injuries in the continental classic he's taking bumps for a guy who's been working for over 20 years as probably a million miles on his body Still, in every match, he's just taking nutty bumps. Like that's just that's I, just who he is, you know. Like yeah, that's what he does. 
there's just something in that Briscoe DNA where it's like, I don't think they know how to really half-ass it. And I, I think that makes them special. The, oh, the other thing I want to point out, Matt, the, did you notice that even in a crazy street fight, we've been noticing lately, the, Jay Briscoe's still in the phase where it feels like on almost every tag match, he has to find, insist on doing a chin lock at some point. I love that even <laughs> in this match, he still had a moment where it's like, I'm going to put Joe in a fucking chin lock. But, but, but like, also, he works, he works the chin lock, though. Like, because they, they do the arm drop thing with Joe, and Jay Briscoe is like, it's over just that quick. And of course, it was not over that quick. But, <laughs> but yeah, that, that chin, even that chin lock spot has, has some memorable moments to it. And also at one point, Jared did on commentary, he calls one Briscoe being backdropped onto the other a Briscoe sandwich. And I, and I thought way too long about that, Matt. I like paused. I was like, right, because well, that because, because, the there's no, because there's nothing in between them. Yeah, like it's, it's two of the same thing. Like like that, that that's two slices of bread or like even a like, – yeah, you, 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 ever, you ever just have a bread sandwich? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like you could say it was if it was like a Briscoe and then someone else. I guess in a sense, every pin in wrestling, if it's not brothers, is an open face sandwich because you could say it's one thing on top of another thing. But like if it's two of the same thing, that's not a sandwich unless you like you said a, a bread sandwich. I like I was gonna say okay, maybe it was didn't that KFC have that sandwich that was just two chicken patties? No, no but, but the, even but, that, but I, I think, think that, did they have like bacon between them? Yeah, bacon and sauce. Like even they were like, you can't just put two of the same thing together and call it a sandwich. I so, guess if someone is like being like paleo and they get like a double hamburger and they just remove the bread, so it's just like the two patties, that would be more accurate. Yeah, I, I just I felt like on a good night for Jared David, he completely negated all of it because of this. But, um, yeah, and by the way, okay. speaking of I know this is a tangent, but speaking of good night for Jared David, Prezak sounded so tired in these last two matches, like relative <laughs> to how intense they were. Like, and Jared David really carried the energy load there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Again, and uh, another example of like how these double shots in some ways are hurting things. We've talked before how they were generally doing the commentary for these back to back in one night. Like, yes, yeah, some of these want shows now. You can really hear sometimes like it getting to people. Like, oh fuck, I. Yeah. Um, uh, one last thing about the sandwiches, man. Okay, I, I I have to know your opinion on this. All right, uh-huh. so I think we've established. Two, just two pieces of the same thing we would not call a sandwich, right? So you wouldn't call two slices of bread a bread sandwich. Just, don't, you just, call... just, just don't ask me if a hot dog is a sandwich. Yeah, no, I'll leave that to literally everyone else on the internet. But um, <laughs> uh, would you call this is a this is a conundrum? Would you call three of the same thing stacked on top of each other's sandwich? So if I put a slice of bread between two other slices of bread. Is that a bread sandwich? Can, can we call that a bread sandwich, or is it, or does a sandwich necessitate it needs to be at least two different things? I, you know, I feel actually very strongly about this, and a lot of people will get mad at me. I think that's a sandwich. I think if you, oh put, I think I think a bread, a slice of bread between two pieces of bread, that's a bread sandwich. Yes, I might be on board with you, Matt. I, I I'm not sure though. Honestly, this is like. The biggest conundrum we faced on through the years history in 121 episodes, I think, is Probably is true. three of the same thing a sandwich? Fans, well, I think I do, I do I do think that bread probably has to be part of it if it's a sandwich, right? I mean, I guess I guess the double down has uh, created the precedent that chicken patties can be the bread. So yeah. yeah, maybe just three of the same anything. Yeah, if there's something in the if there's something in between two things, you got yourself a sandwich, buddy. <laughs> 
That doesn't rhyme, oh. but that doesn't rhyme, but I'm gonna say that it does. <laughs> so um after the match, the crowd gives a big round of applause. Allowed that was awesome, Chan. Uh, clearly uh, this this was the biggest crowd reaction of the night. Jay Briscoe gets on the mic and playing heel, this is a great moment. He goes, That's the stupidest fucking chan I've ever heard. So I uh, like, you know, credit to him. Like, a lot of wrestlers would just soak that up and, like, drop the heel stick. He's like, no, I'm a goddamn heel. He goes, fuck all you people. Fuck Homicide. Fuck Samoa Joe. Fuck Detroit. Briscoes are the best tag team in Ring of Honor. Man up, motherfuckers. Man up. Okay, so wait, 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 wait. I got it. Okay. So, if if you got two things with something with the third thing inside, <laughs> a sandwich is signified. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. To, uh, ever, to everybody on that, the That was good, but you know what made it so good was the fact that it was clear that you spent, like, while I was talking, 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah, I have, no, I have no idea what you were saying in between the time that we, <laughs> that we stopped and uh, when I thought – when I said that, uh, that thing that I already forgot. Like, if you rewind, you can probably hear, like, smoke coming from Matt's ears as he burns brain So, like, where's the rhyme? What can I do? Yes. Uh, so, anyway, yeah, the Briscoes leave, and as they leave, you see that Jay has a really, like, he's not just bleeding from his back. His back's all welted up. So, yeah, these guys really paid the price on this night. And we end with Dave Prezak backstage after the show, where he's found Jimmy Rave was leaving the building dave asked him you know what's what's up with the embassy jimmy's carrying his classic embassy robe we see him throw it in the trash can and he leaves without saying a word so dunk dunk the end of the embassy is coming it's very nice um, to know that uh that they uh like shane strickland and uh nana s- save that uh that robe and you know obviously used it at, at all in and stuff yeah that was a really l- lovely tribute um Matt, that was the show, and I'm starting to remember more and more as we get used to this new normal, Matt. Before we do anything else, we should hand out the Matt F. Trophy for this episode. Well, I got to give it to Mark Briscoe, and not just to him, but also to the Ring of Honor camera operator that so wonderfully captured and timed that shooting star press. But also just Mark in general for just being a madman and – putting on this incredible performance on a night where basically the only other person that you could really say that about was, was Jay. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, not that, I mean, everyone else worked hard because the ring of honor roster works hard, but you know, the only two people on the show put on a incredibly standout performance and it was the Briscoes. Agreed. We couldn't pick a better Matt F trophy winner for this show. Um, yeah. So in terms of the show, I guess kind of just uh, seeking into that. Um, until that main event, I would say this was a very skippable show. As, as I mentioned earlier, I think Ring of Honor – like it was not an unenjoyable watch. Ring of Honor, again, had such a high floor like Brian Danielson in 2006, but it was one of the more skippable shows. I will say I do think that main event is worth going out of your way to see. I know I sound like I liked it a little more than you, but I think it's different. It's notable. You haven't seen many Ring of Honor matches like that, and I will point out I gave a similar review – to the survival of the fittest show last show where I was like, this is a very skippable show, but go out of your way to see the main event. And I was real. I would discover to my chagrin that weirdly 
Honor Club's website, if you want to do it, watch it legally, Honor Club has Survival of the Fittest 2006 as a show, and they have every match except the main event, which is the only match that's really worth watching. That's like, so bizarre. Going out yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I checked again just to make sure. I don't know if it's hiding somewhere else, but but I checked on this show. The main event of this show is on. So this is another one of the shows where it's a perfect show where it's like, unless you're a completist like us or a really whatever, really, I mean, the Danielson-Aries match is pretty darn good. But I would say the only thing that's really worth out of your way, going out of your way to see is the main event. And this is a thing where if you have, if you bought like an Honor Club subscription, if you don't want to do the DVD, buy it on eBay. If you don't want to torrent it, pirate, you know. If you have an Honor Club subscription, you can legally see just this match, and it, it's the perfect kind of drop-in. You'll see it in 20 minutes. It's crazy. It's fun. But overall, yeah, very skippable show. Memorable main event. What do you think about it? Yeah, I think you know it's one of those things where you get like a couple B-shows in a row, which is a little bit disappointing. I do think this was a better top-to-bottom show than Survival of the Fittest. And I actually think that I enjoyed it more watching it now than I did even when it first came out. I remember thinking it was very disappointing. You know, it's it's enjoyable, but yeah, there's only two matches that I would say are legitimately, like, really good. And, you know, that Aries and Danielson match, I, I think that it's, uh, you know, I might have actually liked that one better than you did. The main event I probably liked slightly less than you, but it's so memorable and such a spectacle that you're not going to be bored watching it. You're going to have a good time. So I would actually recommend watching both of those matches. And yeah. I, um, and I, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess in the end that makes for a solid show. It's just, it just didn't feel important and yeah. you could feel the lack of attendance and passion from the crowd. So it's definitely not one of the better ROH shows of the year, but it, it ends on a pretty strong note. So, um, yeah, that brings us to plugs. As always, you can contact us at through the years at gmail.com. That's T H R H for through. Um, Matt, we, uh, I, I, you, I, you, I don't know if you've checked yet, but, uh, I think the last day or two, I just checked the email today. We got a lovely, very short, but lovely email from someone, uh, praising both of us and the show. So if you want a, a nice ego boost, Matt, check the email. Um, and, uh, always, of course, at Trevor Dame on Twitter, at Mayor MGF on Twitter. Yeah. And, and to um, all, and to all of the deep vein thrombozos, uh, Thanks for, for, you know, continuing to listen for another calendar year. You know, we started this in 2017. It's almost, we're getting close to seven years on this thing. Um, so uh, really, uh, thanks again. And I hope everybody has an extremely happy new year. Uh, absolutely. Everyone, like, thank you, all the guests. Thank you, everyone that's ever listened. We appreciate so much that you've spent, you know, your most valuable commodity time on us. We hope it's been worth it. And, you know, I just th- thank you so much. Uh, be safe in the new year. Next time on the show, we, the, the dry winter of 03, of, of 2023, 2024, through the years continues because we'll be covering that suffocation, which is <laughs> one of the worst reviewed Ring of Honor shows of 2006. Also, one of, the, also all- one of the strangest themed wrestling shows any company <laughs> has ever put on. But um, it's like it's like naming it's like naming a show drowning. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> but as always, as I say on through the years, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks until we rewatch it and make the final judgment. You don't know what to think. We'll tell you what to think next time on <laughs> through the years. So for everyone, have a happy new year. Until next time, have a good time. Have a great time.